Hello and welcome to None of My Friends Like Comics, a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a newcomer about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if my friend, a first-time reader, will pull it or drop it. I'm your host, Chris Ashlock, and my co-host today, a first-time guest, Nick Poffenbarger. Yeah, yeah. Hello, sir. Hey, what's up, man? Welcome to your own podcast. (laughs) Flipping the script, flipping the script. Um... Yeah, for those that might be kind of confused, uh, we're we're fucking things up. We're flipping it around. Oh yeah, I think I think this is something <laughs> that we've mentioned on the show before of uh, the idea of uh, kind of doing something, or switching it up where where I would be the the reactor instead of the uh, the presenter the, kind of thing. The reactee. Yeah, got quite a few of those planned coming up. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. So. Yeah. Uh, I think since this is your first time in the guest position, it's only appropriate that we find out what your uh, what your history with the medium is, because I don't think you've you've given your your two cents uh, on that. No, I think uh, the the eagle eyed listener could uh, could could clue in on some facts about my comic book journey. But um, no, I haven't really like gone into it like specifically um, because I haven't been a guest on the show, really. Well, then, uh, a man who loves comics enough to start a podcast about it, would you mind giving us a little little background? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess like my affinity with comics started when I was pretty little, although I didn't start like collecting and like avidly reading until I was like 18. Like so, you know, 14, 15 years <laughs> ago. And uh, I think uh, the infatuation, you know, obviously like started when I was young. Um, I think Max and I talked about this, but you know, I mean, we were, we grew up in the nineties. So like we were kids in the nineties. So X-Men, the animated series, uh, was like, it's like one of my first memories <laughs> that I can, that I can recall. Sure. And like, so the X-Men and, um, in particular, uh, my love of superheroes, like totally non-ironically comes from that shitty Sega Genesis port of the Captain America and the Avengers <laughs> arcade game. <laughs> <laughs> wherein you could be Captain America, Iron Man, Vision, or Hawkeye. And uh, uh, Iron Man was like the coolest looking character I've ever seen in oh, my yeah. life. I, <laughs> Regardless of what you want to say about those games, the, the sprite work was always always excellent. Yeah, and uh, and that actually began my infatuation with Iron Man. And then when I found out that there was an Iron Man animated series, uh, I fucking loved the <clears> shit out of it. And I was like... I was just super into him as a character. Like whenever I'm uh, like, uh, you know, uh, another guest on the podcast, Brett is my oldest friend. Um, we would play together and he would always be rogue. And I, <laughs> he loved rogue, but um, still does. But who, do- who doesn't? Yeah. But, and I would always be Iron Man. Do you remember the favorite. theme song for the Iron Man? Oh, cartoon? dude, I got the DVD. Iron yeah. Man, <laughs> Iron Man. And I was like, fuck yeah. That was and, cool. I was like, that might have that. that there's a, there's a weird coalescence with my love of Black Sabbath and Iron Man, so I think yeah. that, that might have that might have happened uh, or or been been destined to be. But um, yeah, basically, like I was always like tangentially aware of like superheroes, and I knew that there was like a a broader kind of you know deeper lore, and uh, you know all the the comics were there, but I just had kind of no idea how to go about reading them. It, I, it honestly like it's kind of funny because it's like the thought just never really crossed my mind like <laughs> to, to like go and like seek those out i just thought they were cool characters and like i was okay with that and then like i don't know what it was but when i was like 17 18 years old i picked up the um 
the current run of Iron Man, the volume one of it, which was Matt Fraction's Iron Man, uh, and the arc was called uh, The Five Nightmares. And uh, I still have that book. And it uh, it changed my life. <laughs> I, uh, I started reading that actively. That got me like kind of on the train of like Marvel, um, which I was always more of a fan of like their characters to begin with, like, you know, mm. uh, in, in terms of the big two, at least. And um, yeah, before I knew it, I was buying trades and, you know, trying out the following writers and uh, following like, you know, artists and, and all this other stuff. And uh, and it just ended up in the, the world of it. I think only like maybe a couple years after that was when I uh, started like buying uh, books weekly, like from a comic book store and have ever since. And yeah. And then uh, more recently and more uh, relevant to the conversation we're going to have today um, like with anime and manga, which we kind of talked about when we did our, uh, um, kind of just Akira, uh, random talk, talk about, about episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, with anime and manga, I was always like, uh, it was another thing I was pretty tangentially aware of. I mean, like, um, as anybody like my age did when we were growing up, like, uh, you know, I loved Dragon Ball Z and I liked Yu Yu Hakusho and Gundam Wing and shit like that. But like, you know, I was even more clueless on how to go about like finding like manga or whatever, you know, <laughs> like than yeah. I was comic books. And, uh, I, I only really dabbled, uh, recently in the past f- four years into like manga. And I think I started with like death note and, uh, and I've kind of just been on a kick of, um, with manga, at least like, I like reading it before I watch the adaptation. Cause mo- so many of them have adaptations so right you can kind of have that fun experience i don't know i get a kick out of doing that i know like a lot of people are like just looking to choose one over the other a lot of the time but like i just i just like seeing the interpretation of the thing and i like reading it as that's usually the way it's originally conceived so yeah yeah definitely but um yeah no i mean that's that's pretty much me with comics at least like i mean it's just uh just been something that uh grabbed me you know a decade, decade and a half ago, and uh, just uh, haven't let go since. It's got an iron grip on you. I guess. Mind. Yeah. You yeah. won't let he. Uh, I'll rephrase that. You're both in a loving embrace. Yeah. Because there's nothing yeah. malicious about it. You're- That's true. <laughs> if I ever start to feel malicious, then I just take a step back, and then and then I and then I end up reading a, a series that's like polar opposite to what I've been reading the majority of. And then I'm like, Oh, this is why I love this. You know, yeah, like it's, yeah. like, that's, that's it's always good. Kind of like, like I can reaffirm it. I've, for do, you. I've done the same thing. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you have too, but like with music, you know, it's like, you listen to too much, say, uh, I've been listening to nothing but Florida death metal for a whole month. And then you, <laughs> and then you just start hating the world or whatever. And then you put on like a Blondie album and you're like, no music is good. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forget there are different flavors of music. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I do whenever I'm in that spot and just nothing sounds good? I put on a Mr. Bungle record <laughs> and it's like a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um, well, that would do it. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the Mr. Bungle of uh, comic books? It might be Ghost in the Shell. What we're talking about. Okay. Today. <laughs> if you have a Mr. Bungle of comic books, please email. Uh, none of my friends like comics. Let us know. The palate cleanser. The palate cleanser. That's um, a good. That's a good idea, actually, to think about. That's a good thought exercise. Think about what would my yeah. palate cleanser. And, and when I say palate cleanser, I don't necessarily mean that it's something bad. It's something that is just so out there 
that it'll put everything else in perspective. It puts everything else <laughs> in perspective. You go back to that thing you've read a thousand times and suddenly it seems brand new because you've just had your 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 brain like just fucked up by this other thing so much. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have some stability. I'm sure I could come that. up with something. Yeah. I'll be thinking about that. <laughs> well, um, as as Nick already said, today we are talking about a manga, which is it's just a different type of comics. It's a Japanese comic. It is, yeah. It's the first uh, first official episode of us doing a manga. Getting some weeb energy up in here. Yeah. Uh, we are, of course, talking about The Ghost in the Shell. Uh, oh, no, it's not the first manga. We do we just we just did Berserk. I forgot. Fuck. I'm really bad uh, at remembering what can, we just did. Yeah, just delete that out. <laughs> no, that's fine. Or release them out of order. It doesn't matter. Just <laughs> pretend you didn't hear this. Part. I keep I keep most of my flubs in the in the in the show. Fantastic. I feel like it's more endearing. Going in raw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh we have we are of course talking about the ghost in the shell, uh, which was originally released as Kokukidai. Excuse me, Kokukidotai in Japan which translates as Mobile Armored Riot Police, uh, penned by Masamune Shiro. It was released from May 1990 to November 1991 uh, and was eventually brought to America and where it ran from March 1st, 1995 to October 1st, 1995. There's a comic publisher that picked it up, didn't they? I I can't remember the original company that did. Yeah. Uh, It may have been dark horse i think it was like else? it was a company that was run by like the guy who like went on to do dark horse or okay. whatever it was like it was something weird um uh, at see. some point kodansha got the license and they're who uh have released the versions we have now um fun fact masamune shiro always wanted to release it as ghost in the shell but in japan his editor said that the title wasn't cool enough so that's when he came up with Kokaku Kidotai, Mobile Armored Riot Police. Mobile Armored Riot Police, yeah. Uh, I guess that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot more uh, of the time, like, you know, just some acronymic sounding thing that can be like, oh, look at yeah. this force. Well, like, I think both titles kind of, they do represent, you know, parts of the story. They're both appropriate. Ghost uh, in the Shell is so much more of like an over encompassing, like, thematic name though yes you know absolutely <laughs> like like i'd be like if they just called it fucking swat cats or something yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. it's just like Go, you know ghost in the shell is emblematic of what it's about whereas mobile armored riot police is like what they are yeah yeah so, I guess, like i guess yeah it's like uh mobile armored riot police uh armored shell and then i saw someone translated it as shell squad shell squad don't know how accurate that is like but tmnt uh, exactly <laughs> Maybe that's what they're called in Japan. Ninja Turtles, you mean Shell Squad? Yeah. <laughs> um, this one's going to be a little different because Ghost in the Shell is actually a maxi series. Um, where most of the titles that have been talked about on this podcast thus far have kind of been a linear kind yeah, of story, like an arc start to finish. This was kind of released more as individual issues, standalone issues. It's like an anthology almost. Yeah. But at some point there is an overarching um, story, which we'll kind of talk on more. But I think how we're going to do this, we're going to Snyder cut it, do it and do it in chapters. We're going to go through each one, just kind of talk about it briefly. Um, 
I've done my very best to summarize each of these. This is a very dense book. Yeah. This almost killed me trying to uh, that's hyperbolic. Dec- decide what you wanted. to. Yeah. Or not. So if it seems like I'm going kind of faster, I've left out maybe some more important details. If any of this sounds interesting to you, go, go check it out. Go read it. It's definitely an interesting read, especially if you're a fan of the film or the the uh, the series, any of that. This is where it all started. So very interesting book. Um, so let's start with the prologue issue one. Yeah. And uh, rather than try to paraphrase it, I'm just going to read how it how it actually starts. Uh, <laughs> it is the near future. The world has become highly information intensive with a vast corporate network covering the planet, electrons and light pulsing through it. But the nation state and ethnic groups still survive. And on the edge of Asia, in a strange corporate conglomerate called Japan, we are in Newport City. The date is March 25th, 2029. Newport City, I think, is supposed to be kind of an analog of like Tokyo meets Hong Kong. Yeah. Basically, it's a it's a futuristic, densely packed city. I uh, I think my mind subconsciously thought like this is like an, an evolved Tokyo. Right. Like, I mean, it just looks that way. Um, I guess we can get this out of the way really fast, too, of just like the initial impression of like just seeing the designs in the city. Um, like it's it's inevitable it was going to come up in conversation, but it's uh, it's very like Blade Runner. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, uh, like I mean, it it just it just screams that to me. And um, I know that like that's a common comparison with these. I've I've I should preface this too by saying like I've tried my best to kind of like not really look up stuff about this just for the sake of having a better conversation on here. But I know some of the things that I'm saying are things that people have probably said for years and years. But like uh, the Blade Runner thing, I, I definitely already saw. I think even the uh, the uh, president of Dark Horse in his little prelude in this version I have talks about how it's like Blade Runner. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So I, I think inevitably any cyberpunk derivative work is going to take. I mean, Blade Runner just had such a massive impact yeah. And I, mean, I think I think they all wear the influence proudly, though. I don't think there's any like, oh, we're ripping it off. Don't no, I, I don't think so. And and I think that like this one goes a step further and not. Um, I, I would ne- I would never say that this is like uh, plagiarizing in any way. But this one this one goes this step further of not just like aesthetically being kind of like Blade Runner, but um, having something thematically relevant to say uh you know uh, it during the course of the run at least um uh, like how blade runner is where it's like you can interpret it on multiple levels but um yeah like i I gotta say like this prologue um i mean for one (laughs) i know that we (laughs) we skipped over but i just have to mention here before we like really get the glimpse of a newport city i mean i guess you do in the little uh little intro there but then it just cuts to this giant thing where it's exactly what you told me where <laughs> there's, there's some fucking like thing or a graph or a picture that's confusing and then like three paragraphs worth of shit of 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 the author just so what just it's it's a picture he says that this is a photograph what the exact quote is this is a photograph of a growth type neurochip 
and like then just goes on to explain exactly what that is, exactly what it does, theoretically what it does. Sometimes he even goes meta in these texts where he's like, oh he's boy. like, I did it this way because like yeah. I wanted it to be this way. Like, and you're like, oh, this isn't like a narrator. He, like, this is just him talking he, to you. Yeah, he he explains it as if I know you're probably asking yourself this, so I clarified it for you. I wasn't asking any of Ma, this shit. Ma, Masamune Shiro is, <laughs> I think, a very intelligent man. Because yeah, I mean, clearly, the, like the <laughs> theoretical <laughs> science he he talks about in the liner notes of this book, so far beyond me. I, I'm kind of a dum dum, anyways. But this is like insane shit. Basically, what we're looking at on this first page, though, is his idea of in his in his universe. This is where artificial intelligence starts or this is the technology that makes cybernetics possible this is how humans are essentially able to have the synapses in their brains tr- be turned into like d- you know digital signals yeah and information interface. data and things like that like it's a uh, yeah it's, and i think it's wild i think most people will just take that at face value and go okay robots cool I don't need to understand how it works, but he, he's going, no, no, he no, no, goes no. so much further into he goes, it. No, no, no. I've thought about this. Here's how we can make it happen. Shiro Masamune, also an etchy artist. He likes to draw naked women. So he's a smart yes, he man. Does. He's a bit of a perv. Take that for what you will. It's quite the combo. <laughs> quite the combo. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, <laughs> I, I just had to get some of that out of the way right off the bat because it, it really hits you right at the beginning. Like there's no, like, there's no, like, you get to the halfway point and you're like, you know, this kind of reminds me of this. <laughs> like, you know, it's, yeah. it's very evident, right? There's, the there's no easing into it. You, I won't say, you know what you're getting into from the start because it took me several reads to figure out like just what, what this is, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've got our, we got our neurochip, and then we see, uh, three helicopters descending on Newport city. That is an iconic shot that will come up in every adaptation of ghost in the shell. You will ever watch. Yeah. Except maybe the ScarJo movie, but that doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> we open on a foreign diplomat making a shady deal with the assistant secretary of the Department of Commerce. Uh, Even this shit is so in depth. It's yeah, like, <laughs> this is like super cool, uh, all babe, boring, like thrill, like p- political thriller type shit. Yeah. Um, Basically, a shady deal is going down with a member of Japanese government and a foreign diplomat of sorts. Uh, What they don't realize, though, is that public security is listening into their conversation. We see men moving in They're They're getting ready to they're waiting for the signal, basically, to uh, to move in, arrest these guys, do something we don't know. That's when we are introduced to a blue haired, black clad woman who at this point is simply referred to as major. Yeah. Uh, we also are introduced to Chief Automaki, who is the eventually will be the head of Section Nine. At this point, he is the chief of public security. Um, basically gives a go ahead to his team to move in and and stop these guys, arrest them, whatever they're gonna do. Yeah, they right, move in. We got them red handed. Yeah, he says we've been listening in. We've got enough evidence to uh, deport this foreign diplomat, uh, arrest this guy who's making a shady deal. Um, move in. They all move in. Um, he comes in with his badge saying, you know, we're we're going to deport you. We're going to arrest you. Foreign diplomats like, look, this guy's applied for political asylum. He will be leaving Japan with me. 
nothing you can do but yeah he's basically just like he's a smug prick about it too yeah Yeah. like um to which aramaki replies if if dude leaves the country he will be assassinated because i guess this guy has made deals or whatever people are not happy with him if he leaves japan he's gonna die like he's not gonna be protected anymore um (laughs) the foreign diplomat from the other country uh expresses that his nation is full of peaceful individuals and as he says that he is suddenly he basically just explodes. We don't know what happened. The dude like horrifically explodes into like chunks. I don't know if it's chunks. A, I don't know if it's the same in your version, but like my version, the uh, the uh, onomatopoeia uses a uh, kabomf. Kabomf. Yeah. No, mine are all all in the original yeah. kana. Kabomf. Yeah. No, I think that's or splooch. Yeah. Or like splooch. splack. Something gross. It does, it does go like it's a bunch of little ones before that just say vip, 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 spack, 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 and then kubwomp. That's pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. so- <laughs> Maybe if you could if you could write out the sound a jar of gack makes when you push it in, <laughs> like flurp, yeah, flurp, <laughs> flurp, yeah. That might be inappropriate. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, our our boy uh, Masamune Shiro explains in the margins that he exploded because he has been shot with what are called delayed fused soft head explosive <laughs> shells. So we don't know. <laughs> we know we know why and how he exploded, just in case you were wondering. Uh, yeah. Everyone looks out the window, though, to see, like, who the hell has shot this guy? And we see the the woman, the major that we've been introduced to before. She is the assassin in question. And she is kind of doing a free fall back and away from this building. But she's she's kind of looking up at everyone like like, hey, yeah. see ya. And then she fucking camouflage disappears. She she throws on what is called type 2902 thermical optical camouflage, thermal optical camouflage. <laughs> um, and then we cut to the following day where a woman is sitting in the office of the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Um, the wording about this always kind of confuse me because it says a woman who looks like or may be the major it's i don't know if that's a translation thing or whatever but it's it's almost implying that it may or may not be the actual major or that maybe there is another woman walking around newport city that looks the same yeah because it does um because it does go on later on in the book to say that like there are like she looks like uh you know like this base model of like these like robotic like women yeah you know so i mean like there are other versions of her like they may have like different hair or something but right like they're they're the facial like they look the same and whatnot it may have been a thread that he wanted to explore more but just didn't later on which i guess you know as as writing these issue to issue as opposed to an overall arc things like that are probably bound to happen yeah but, um so that's kind of just our introduction to to this world and those characters chapter two is called super spartan takes place in 2029 april 10th we open up on a a kind of traditional japanese scene which is a cherry blossom viewing party except uh people are in like futuristic swat suits and they're (laughs) chilling in uh spider tanks yeah the spider tanks is the first time we see those and uh they're a fuchikoma it's a cool cool you design they're awesome yeah i i these in this universe these are what are called think tanks essentially they are tanks that are intelligent on some level yeah artificial intelligence as we'll we'll see later that they they talk and communicate yes. and stuff and in this version they are called huchikoma um we're introduced to the 
I guess all of the members of Section 9, uh, the Major, who we find out is actually Major Motoko Kusunagi. So, um, real quick. So, yeah. like, Section 9, like, I took that as, like, from the beginning, and I realized I ran with this forever before realizing it might be a little bit different. But my first thought was, because I think it's Aramaki says something about, like, Section 9. And, and, like, I was like, oh, so it's, like, the districts in, like, Final Fantasy VII or something. Like it was like, oh, like, uh, you know, they're just the different sects of places because they will mention like, you know, there's like a, a delegate from like district six later on and stuff like that. And like, uh, or I mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So, so these are not, uh, sections of the city necessarily. Yeah. These that becomes, governments. that becomes clear later, yeah. <laughs> but that's just what I thought at first. Like I was like, right. oh, they're like different okay. areas. Yeah. Like, I guess they don't really elaborate on that until, you know, a few issues later. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so we have, uh, major Motoko Kusanagi, who is their, their leader. Uh, we have Bato, Togusa, Ishikawa, Saito, Boma, Pazu. Now, half these guys, I don't know if they get more than like one line. Uh, yeah, you only really need to know a couple of them. <laughs> it's like, R- really, our main cast is Major Bato, um, Togusa. Togusa, and then Ishikawa kind of comes in and out. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Aramaki's there behind the scenes doing all the, the paperwork, yeah. all that fun stuff. The rest of them are just kind of there. Yeah, so they're chilling out. They're enjoying the uh, cherry blossoms. Probably having some some sake, some cyborg friendly sake, until <laughs> Aramaki co- comes over the comm to inform them that their budget has passed. Basically, they have requested funding to form this little team. Um, he sends them off on their first mission. I like that. The major remarks: "Round the clock cherry blossom viewing is over. Going to take you to a nude bar." They do not go to a nude bar. I don't know why she says that, but it's funny. (laughs) I will say like (laughs) immediately, like, um, you know, in terms of uh, my like exposure to Ghost in the Shell, I only ever remember seeing like clips from the movie, not not the ScarJo movie, the original movie. And I remember it being like this really weird, moody, sometimes somber, like just like depressive kind of feeling thing and it was very surprising to me to see how snarky the major is in this book a lot of the time and how many like chibi moments they have of like where she hits one of the dudes over the head or something and they're and they're they have the big anime eyes and they're like oh what'd you do there like or whatever you know like yeah it's kind of weird and like we'll talk about it more at the end um because i'm sure we'll in the overall section we'll we'll go over the films a little bit at least um yeah but um yeah it was kind of a shock i mean it wasn't like bad because it it's a dense long book so it's like a little bit of like humor and differentiation in there is is kind of welcome yeah but it was just a lot different than i thought it would be yeah (laughs) so that is um masamune shiro i mean his work in general that's kind of the tone on everything he does which if you didn't read ghost in the shell and you'd only ever seen the movie. I'm just going to say to you from here forth, if we say the movie, we are, of course, talking about uh, the, 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 the 1995 yeah. uh, Oshii Mamoru, Mamoru uh, animated film uh, here in the live action will be referred to as Scar Ghost in the Shell. Scar Ghost in the so, Shell, yeah. <laughs> Just so we know. Uh, yeah, because every every animated, any adaptation other than this comic that has been done has not had the humorous parts have been more or less stripped out completely. Yeah. And um, 
which is another good reason to kind of check this out to get something totally it different. is it is a lot different um a lot different than i expected um but yeah i mean like i said in a, in a dense giant thing it was just um you know it's pretty welcome to have that tonal shift every now and then but like like i said this is the first time we really hear the major like or, or get her perspective and she's talking a lot and stuff and uh i was like oh she's like she's like sassy and like, yeah. and like oh, stuff yeah. and i was like <laughs> she's funny yeah <laughs> um so uh we're on our we're on route we're on our first mission uh they take off in the fujikomas you would think just from a glance that they walk because they look like spiders or crabs. But no, these bad boys, they can they can drive fast. Yeah, they got little wheels. So they they take off They're They're zipping along and en route. She initiates she initiates what's called a brain dive, essentially because they are all cyborgs and their brains have been augmented to some degree. They can interface with what they call the net. But I mean, it's the Internet. Yeah, Uh they all brain dive and sync up with each other to get get orders. It's just kind of a cool yeah. way to show like what this technology is. Yeah, it's like they don't use comms. They just it's like a psychic connection yeah. almost like her, you know, is more supernatural way to explain it. I had to read this page like four times because I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like I was like, OK, I get that they're like talking to each other. But I was like, I just didn't. It was just the the literal explanation of it. I was like, yeah. you know. Which is which is probably what I reread the most during this book. It's, it's all the certain, explanations. <laughs> at a certain point, it's information overload with just yeah. how much visual <laughs> stuff there is going on. Um, in the brain dive, she basically reveals the details of the mission. They are going to investigate the Sacred Citizen Relief Center, which is at least on paper a public welfare f- facility to educate war orphans. But is in fact a sweatshop where kids are forced to make water filters. I thought it was funny that it was like just a straight up sweatshop and like that oh, it was yeah. for like a specific thing. Like I was like, it wasn't just like generic slave labor. Like it's like, yeah, no, they're making this. Fucking- and they don't like they immediately cut to it. And it's just like a more fucked up Oliver Twist. Yeah. Where there's all these horrible looking kids. The design on some of these kids is fucking weird, too. It's there's the kid that has like the like the duck build mouth. Yeah. It started to make me think like. It, it, the fact that it was like immediately explained as a sweatshop for like water filters. Yeah. I was like, is this like supposed to be like, like satirically funny? Like, you know, like I, I yeah. was like, you know, like it because it feels like a dark, like real life satire kind of kind of comedic moment there. But but I'm not sure because they don't like elaborate on it. It's not like the characters make jokes about it. Like it's just said as information. Well, yeah, I, I think <laughs> so. the fact that they speak so frankly about it is just like. Oh, what do you, what can you do? That's just kind of how, like, the, world how the world is. That's how the world is. And it's, it's like, like, oh, it's like, sad. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. But that's also just kind of how the world actually is. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, they are investigating this place because they believe that they have what is uh, what is called a ghost controller or a brainwashing machine. Yeah. Uh, they're they suspect they're brainwashing these kids, essentially, for nefarious reasons. Um. Kusanagi hacks into the mind of one of the kids who is in the education wing and discovers dozens of children who are all kind of strung up along wall uh, with these ghost controllers hooked on. And they're yeah, they're receiving brainwashing education, as they call it. Yeah. Um, The kid she hacks, he freaks out. Uh, She basically wakes him from his his slumber, whatever the kid takes off. He wants to get the fuck out of there. I don't blame him. 
Uh, but this this basically prompts security to uh, <laughs> to to be deployed to go, you know, keep this kid from getting out and spilling their secrets and all that. Um, in that process, Ishikawa, who's kind of the information guy of the group, he notices that one of the guards is a heavily armored guard. And he says is a, a type 2033 used by the Japanese self-defense force. Um, which makes him think that the relief center is probably actually a shady government run facility. Yeah. Um, and they've been mulling over whether to move in or not to, uh, kind of expose this place. The the reason is, um, exposure of a government backed operation could cause a scandal and potentially force, uh, Aramaki's resignation, basically put the boss out of a job. But they ultimately decide to move in as he had ordered, knowing that he probably knew what they were getting into. So uh, they move in. A bunch of action stuff happens. They apprehend the ghost controller and basically blow the whole thing open. Yeah. Um, Later during a debriefing, Aramaki is in with the Minister of Internal Affairs, who is Motoko's current boss, because at this point... She and all the other members of Section 9 have just been recruited for this, but they were waiting for the budget to be approved earlier. Basically, their team is now official, but she's in with her her former soon to be former boss. Um, And he Aramaki explains that uh, while the team's actions seem a little extreme, they need to set an example that shady government run facilities are not okay. Which we all know, but, you know, if you're a shady government worker, you probably don't want that kind of thing getting out. Yeah, the <laughs> true the, enough. This is just kind of funny. The minister warns Motoko that her reckless actions could hamper the special forces unit she has been trying to form. To which she responds, can we link up to talk directly for a minute? And all she does is make him punch himself in the face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but basically, that's her resignation. Yeah. Um, Which is fun. It's fun, yeah. <laughs> she likes to make people punch themselves in the face. Yeah. If Lady ever asked to talk to you, you know, linked up directly, you might want to be careful. I thought it was interesting, like, being that this uh, this particular issue is kind of like the thesis statement for the book. Because, you know, we kind of get the inkling of, like, the overarching thing from here on out. Yes. Um, I also thought, like, it was incredibly... Uh, like for a first real chapter, like it's incredibly good or just effective in showing how gray everybody in this whole world is because like, <laughs> yeah. cause yeah, like it's it, like how you were just saying like in a, in an overarching way, Aramaki's like, Hey, you know, we did this. Um, and you know, there was obviously like a lot of like little things that were showing how, you know, deeply in tune he was with what was going on with this mission, what this place was, why they did it and um, how they want to send this message that, you know, even government sponsored like shady shit is not going to be tolerated. At the same time, we get this whole scene where uh major, like, you know, effectively lets the kid go who escaped like that she hacked into and sure. just, and just basically tells him to fuck off. Like, yeah, and, like, and, no, like, and like, she's yeah. like, like he's like he's like what do I do like I'm an orphan like I don't know what to do now she says, are you going to save out. me and she yeah. says she says yeah like create your own future like you're smart or something like you know yeah. and, and it's like and then he's just literally left there and it's like 
that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, <you> know? <laughs> like we were saying just a couple minutes like, ago. Like, I don't know what side of this government is good. Like, you know. Well, yeah. Like, like we were saying a couple minutes ago, they treat the idea of there being a sweatshop secretly here as just being commonplace. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it is. It is fucked up. But I mean, that's the world we live in. Yeah. And then when this kid is kind of just like, what do I do? She's like, I don't know. Figure She's it out. Bootstraps. Yeah. You know, she <laughs> pulls yourself up. Go get get a. I don't know figure it out yeah it's just i thought that that was very strange and i was just like yeah i was like oh okay i was like is anyone good in this i don't know like it's definitely not clear cut back and white which i like yeah um but i just thought it was i thought it was interesting that it shows it so fast you know like it doesn't it doesn't yeah. ease you into that it's like no like you know there's there's no front face like halfway through we're gonna say like oh maybe the good guys we've been following weren't that good the whole time or something it's like no everybody kind of sucks <laughs> or, yeah, or, has, I, or has bad and good parts to them I, I think as we'll find too the further we get into this they are they are a force for good their their intentions are good they're trying to stop bad things from happening but they're a black ops unit yeah yeah they're not supposed to exist and they have they they, are circumventing the law by like straight up you know killing people if it's necessary to accomplish the missions and the ones we get to know like we find out have like weird ass problems and like you know and and aren't the most stable people and they're just kind of like it's tough being a cyborg yeah maybe not the best people like to be doing something like that (laughs) you know it's like it's yeah i don't know it's interesting um Dun dun. Chapter three. Junk jungle. I love some of the titles of these. Yeah. Uh, whether they. I like that they're titled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> titled in on this read through. I did actually pay more attention to the dates attached to each. Seeing how much time goes by. Yeah, yeah. it did. It did actually kind of help inform some of the later stuff that happens. I would look at the date of the previous issue as I'm starting to read the next one. Yeah. Just to just to kind of have that in my head, you know, right. Because I figured if it's documented, it's probably important in some way or at least just for context sake. So, Definitely. you know, it's not like the next day or whatever. Yeah. Um, We open up on our boy Bato, who I think is probably my favorite character in the whole. I like franchise. Bato a lot. Yeah, he's, he's kind of great. <laughs> he's all camoed up, not in fancy cyborg camo, just classic. Uh, What do you call it? Woodland camo. And he's staking out a fancy looking house in the middle of a wooded area. Um, he's here because a man named Colonel Malice, uh, who is suspected of leaking some kind of secret thing, uh, blah, 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 bad guy. He's there staking him out. Aramaki comes up and, uh, just to see how it's going, mentions the puppeteer, which this is the first mention of not the antagonist. I'm just going to say he's an important character later. He's, he's framed as our villain for most of the story. Um, but obviously, like, you know, there's a lot more to this than than meets the eye at the beginning. But for all intents and purposes, he is the he's the one we're after. Yeah. Know? Like uh, like uh, overall. But at this point, he's really nothing more than a name. They call him. He's a mysterious super hacker called the puppeteer. He's involved somehow. But this guy is uh, fucking hard to catch. Yeah. So um, Aramaki has Bato bring in the major from her vacation. Uh, Because the foreign minister's interpreter, who is a cyborg woman, uh, her cyber brain has been infected. It is linked up to someone that this this colonel they're staking out has employed or or whatnot. We don't really find out till later. But basically, she has been infected 
with what is called an HA3 virus, where it's it's going to steal information or something. They have two hours because it's a slow moving virus. Essentially, they have two hours where they before they have to pull the plug on her to be able to reverse the virus. But that means they have two hours to like reverse track yeah. where this came from to, to find try the guy to see if they it. can fight, figure out the source. Basically, yeah. um, they've at least been able to find out that the hacker is on the move. He changes positions frequently, so he's basically getting everyone there. He's sending them out and we're going mobile. Uh, Major and Togusa suit up. They go after uh, they go off together and then Ishikawa and Boma. They're already on the scene, more or less trying to follow along the trail. Uh, what they end up finding is it is coming from a garbage truck that is doing the rounds. They yeah. they put the pieces together. Some garbage man's doing some nefarious shit. We <laughs> we meet the garbage men who are never named, I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think they will refer to them in as a uh, man who is suspicious. His wife is cheating on him and man who does not give a fuck about man with wife problems problems. Yeah, because the guy keeps going on about how his wife doesn't have time for him anymore. <laughs> Guys, the other guy's like, I don't care about your problems. Leave me alone. He's like, she hit me with divorce papers or whatever and all that stuff. And the other guy's just like, I don't I just want to do my garbage man job. I want to do my garbage man job and go home. <sighs> Garbage is stinky in the future. Um, <laughs> so what is going on here is man who is suspicious of his wife cheating on him. He's using what's called a ghost hack to do what he thinks is basically hacking his wife's her ghost, her consciousness to try to see what she's been up to. Um, and how he's doing that is along their routes. There are phone booths they keep stopping at because it's the far future and we still have phone booths for some reason. <laughs> it's OK. This was written in the 90s. Cell phones yeah. weren't quite that big. It's a future retro tech kind of thing. I don't know. It's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. There are these little key cards that are being taped underneath each phone booth. And he's like inserting these and uploading bits of the program or whatever. Uh, there's a guy that's running just ahead of him who is kind of the mastermind here. He's basically leaving these cards at the phone booth and then letting this other guy put them in essentially freeing himself of he's, he's moving the target to this other guy. Yeah. So he doesn't get found out. Um, yeah, this is so like elaborate. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this chapter a lot though. I particularly like it's fun. The, I like the, the unsuspecting garbage men, you know, yeah. like, and, it, and it adds a whole different kind of element to the, the story here but um, yeah yeah especially what we uh, find out later it, it's so like one of those that like i just if you've never read anything like this like or this story in particular it's like there's no fucking way you would guess what the hell is going on until the end yeah yeah <laughs> like it's just like it's so like convoluted but in a way i mean i guess that helps because i mean we are dealing with essentially a giant espionage story so yeah I mean, you know yeah. it's like you know it and works. It, yeah. And again, this is the future where technology has advanced so far. I mean, things have inevitably gotten more more complicated than they even are now. Yeah. So I appreciate that there was so much thought put into constructing this horribly complicated story. Yeah. The garbage man does mention, though, that he the guy that is placing the key cards on the phones, he met the other night in a pub and he he says I met a really nice guy who was yeah. sympathetic. He listened to me bitch about this and he's the one that hooked me up with this program. Yeah. So that's what he thinks happened. Yeah. Um, 
we cut to Ishikawa and Boma who have figured out what number garbage truck it is. So they take off after this guy. Somehow the the garbage man who is making the phone calls. Uh, oh, no, he's alerted because they get a call on their little their little phone that's hanging up behind them. Yeah. And they're like, like, why are the why, cops did, why are the cops want to see after us? And he knows immediately like, oh, fuck, I've been found out. So yeah. they start driving very fast and recklessly through these, you know, very narrow streets. Yeah. Each cow and Boma see this garbage truck taken off. They're chasing after them. Um, the major and Togusa cut them off in the Fuchikomas, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're in, they're in there. They're in there. They kind of pull a pincer move. Ishikawa and Boma are behind in their car, but then the Fuchikomas also have the optical camouflage. So they kind of, they're kind of hanging out in front of them to cut them off. But what they don't realize is the guy who's leaving the key cards, he's, he sees what's going on. Yeah. Cause he's right there. They're like about caught up with him because the, what the garbage man, um, the one who, who thinks he's in trouble is yelling for him. Actually, he's, he's like trying to tell him. Right. The cops right. To him. Yeah. Uh, Dude, dude pulls out a gun and like just fucking obliterates the garbage truck. Yeah. And then everything fucking, explodes. Yeah. Cause, and then, and then they fucking, uh, major and them show up or major and Togus to show up and they just fuck it up even more. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a little collateral damage. No yeah. big deal. Uh, major's now on foot pursuing this guy because he takes off towards a crowded area. Um, we find out why he went to the crowded area. He has something that's called a hypno voice, which sounds goofy, but there's I'm sure there's a blurb by Masamune Shiro explaining <laughs> how this works. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, I, I noticed you skipped the one about um, uh, what was it? I was going to make a joke about it. Of oh, the Gorgon mines. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that are mentioned like for, literally just me. offhand. <laughs> forgive me. They don't uh, even factor into the story. Dedicated Ghost in the Shell fans, forgive me for skipping the Gorgon Mines. Uh, I'll, I'll watch myself from now on. <laughs> um, uh, basically, the dude runs in, uses this hypno voice to like hack hack these people's minds to make them subdue the major. Yeah, he he knows he can't take her on in a one on one fight, so they have her. They have them hold her down so he can shoot her. Basically, yeah. Um. But our boy Togusa runs up. He's about to blow the dude away. But Major stops him because they need him for questioning. And this is the first instance of her using um, a ghost infiltration. Basically, she gets into his head and takes over his body and makes him like miss this guy. I think he shoots him in the arm or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's off to the side. He still has his head, which is kind of the point. Yeah. Um, And they talk about it later. And she basically just yeah, says he's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I, imagine like just you, you listening right now. Imagine you're going to like do something. And then suddenly that thing you're determined to do, like you, you cannot do it. Your willpower is taken from you. doesn't matter what you want to do. You, you're like, I can't even fathom what that's got to be like to well, just yeah, lose just control. Like, it's, it's the same thing with them. I guess to equate it back to like, um, American comics, it's like the idea of, you know, Charles Xavier or Jean Grey, like 
messing with someone's mind, like sure. when they're not uninvited, you know, or whatever. Exactly. Like it's uh it's just a, a, a personal invasion beyond anything else, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's maybe not so much the physically not being able to do it, but it's like, like the invasion of the, someone went into your most personal space yes. that no one else should go into and forced you to do something or not do something or just do, not be yourself there yeah. for, for a moment. Yeah. Even it's like being manipulated uh, on the most like I, I don't know we, we don't it's not a thing that exists we yeah. can't even comprehend it <laughs> exactly yeah it's fucked up or rather in this case she basically explains that like she is what's it's called a ghost key basically if you have the key to someone's ghost uh which did we explain what a what a ghost is i mean i think that you you kind of said it was you know consciousness like someone's it's, like inner yeah. like mind basically i guess or, or soul it's, is kind of a way that they describe it some at yeah points. there's kind um, of different interpretations of it but essentially in in most cases the ghost refers to like your consciousness or yeah. what the the stuff that makes you you yeah the synapses firing you know in your brain the ones and zeros whatever it is that makes you you yeah but a ghost key is everything separate from your like physical body and attributes like the right. things that are just make you you type thing yeah like, you know so if you have someone's ghost key basically you can unlock that door you can take control of them yeah she says um through the connectivity of like what they were demonstrating earlier where they they you know right right, right, right yeah that shit um she basically explains uh i i didn't want to use your ghost key but we had to keep the sky alive for questioning uh which Toga says, says this dude should be fucking dead. Even if he has valuable information, he's scum. He should be dead. Yeah. Uh, which he might, he might change his feelings on that later. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. True enough. Um, but we find out the man of, of course, as we, as the reader know, he's been, he's employed by Colonel Malice, the guy from earlier. Yeah. Um, they move in, you know, they, they arrest him or whatever. When they do though, they notice another guy that's just kind of there sitting in a chair. Yeah. Just smiling. <laughs> just a fucking creep. And they don't even seem to be like concerned about this guy. And the reason is that Kusanagi says that he's he's a puppet. Kind of phrases it in a way that's like it's like he's he's being controlled. Yeah. This thing here is not a person. He's being controlled by. I think it's implied that it's the puppeteer has been controlling this mm -hmm. guy. Yeah, so that's the impression I got, uh, which we we will come back to later. This does relate to sort of the overall arc of the story. Um, and then kind of sadly, as a little epilogue, we find out about our our poor garbage guy whose wife has been cheating on him. <laughs> we find out that he is actually single. He has never been married. He does not have kids. Yeah. This poor bastard has had false memories implanted, which for you Blade Runner aficionados, that's kind of that sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't see that coming um, when I first read this, and I was like, I love that little twist at the end, though. It's yeah. so, like, dour, and I'm yeah. just like, oh, fuck. Because he was like, the thing is, too, is, like, that guy, even after being manipulated, like, you know, yeah, it was kind of suspicious that, like, um, you know, he, he referred to the man who was, like, you know, quote unquote helping him as like he's like I met this good guy you know and all this stuff and like it's like okay I can believe that maybe like this dude who you know they went after um was maybe like charismatic and you know just just turning on the charm to get this guy to use him as a patsy but like 
the fact that like none of that shit was real and like the poor garbage dude even like when he found out that they were almost caught instead of just running went to warn the guy yeah you know like and it's like oh he's a good guy yeah (laughs) like it was like yeah uh, that was sad poor bastard yeah um i would say one more thing about this chapter just before we move on um i love the fucking depiction of the uh woman who has the virus and when they go and see her you know her um, brain case is yeah, laying out on the table. Her brain yeah. case laying out and like she's got all the wires coming out of her head. That just looks awesome. That <laughs> That is a wonderful because in the next couple chapters, actually, we'll see like what a cyborg looks like kind of in pieces. But I feel like that frame in particular you're talking about is such a perfect sort of uh, visualization of what being a cyborg essentially is. Yeah. Basically, your brain is put into a sort of metal case a Casing, brain case is yeah. what they call it your brain and your spinal cord that is i guess in this universe that's all you need to still be you so they put your brain and your spinal cord in a metal case which can then transmit your synapses and you can connect new nervous system all that shit but into a robot body into a whatever. robot body yeah yeah it's yeah. interesting and i just i just love that depiction is really cool and it's just yeah. really well done um which making of the cyborg we'll get into in a second. Chapter four is called <laughs> Megatech Machine Revolt of the Robots. One of my favorites. <laughs> um, basically, this is where we find out that the the Huchikomas are a hive mind. Yeah. Not only can they talk, but every morning, each unit is sort of sent out to go experience the world. They have experiences. They learn. And then at the end of the day, they come back and they sync up with each other. Yeah. So, so they're, they're a hive mind, but then they go out as individuals. And yeah. it's, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of almost hard to conceptualize. Well, because there's a they, they explain it as like because um, in the instance of like this little story, because this is only like a few pages long, but they do have like differences of opinions and stuff like for, for a <laughs> yeah. certain time of day before they really like sync back up and they all experience the same thing. And essentially, it doesn't like restart them but it like it just collectively their consciousness grows and they just kind of uh, absorb the data instead of like acting on it anymore yes <laughs> like but it's but it's interesting because yeah one of them like wants to do a little robot revolt and stuff and like yeah and- <laughs> there's in one of the later chapters too um we also find out that they have a taste for natural oil yeah <laughs> which is almost it's basically like alcohol or drugs they, for i humans. was gonna say so like, like they, hey hey bato give me some of that natural yeah, they talk like, about don't it. Don't tell anyone. They talk about it like it's crack or something. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weirdly, <laughs> I guess, humanizing yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, um, I like too that they talk about how. Uh, just another little piece of the story. They talk about how Bato um, always picks uh, the same one. Yeah, for some reason, <laughs> like it's just like a thing with him. He just he's like, no, that's that one's mine or whatever. Yeah, like, almost as if it's got its own personality. Yeah, which they don't. Um, the Fuchikomas aren't even in the movie, but in standalone complex and 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 one of the other series, the Fuchikomas actually get kind of an arc where they are the same thing. They're sort of a hive mind, but they find that they are all actually developing into individuals. So That's they kind of take this idea further. If you like the Fuchikomas, go check out standalone complex. Neat little arc with the Fuchikomas in there. Or is there they're called Tachikomas in the series. They get different. 
different names in each series. Weird. Uh, <laughs> chapter five, Megatech Machine Two: The Making of a Cyborg. Um, and, my, and my notes, and my notes, I just put down fucking complicated explanation of how cyborgs are made. <laughs> Masamune Shiro, the dude has his own science. Most authors have their own mythology for the worlds they built. This dude has that plus his own science. I did not understand what any of this means. This is the most exposition dump <laughs> shit I've ever seen it is. in my life. Like if, if anything was an exposition dump, this fucking chapter, Jesus Christ. If you want to know how a cyborg is made, here you go. I will say though, there is a little blurb at this that I think is kind of very important to the overall theme of the story, which is uh, Kusanagi's having, having a little chat with one of her friends. Yeah. That's the, that to me, I mean, like I thought that the actual science or faux science stuff was was interesting, but this is actually like some meat to the story here. Yes, <laughs> this is the good shit. This yeah. is the stuff that I like. Uh, she basically reveals that she often questions if the real her hasn't already died and the self that she that she is that she can conceive of isn't just an elaborate AI that is a recreation of the dead her or if her ever even existed. Yeah. Fucks your head if you think about it too much. But her friend basically says, like, you you are treated as if you have gray matter, which I think is another word for like ghost or the stuff that like we were saying, the actual personality. Yeah. Like the you, the proper you. She says you get treated like you have gray matter. Uh, yeah, like you're treated like a human. You're treated you know? like a human. I mean, like, and if you think That's about why it, you <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, she is like effectively like the leader of like, you know, this task force and stuff. And like, I mean, even though we don't have a lot of background info on the major yet, like, yeah, it's uh, it's clear to see like, you know, her personality and whatnot. She she earned what she does, yeah. I think, because I mean, she is kind of like better than any of them at this stuff yes. like i mean cool. i mean like she's a clear leader so i mean it's it's it doesn't seem like she was manufactured in a way and like they were just like this new robot's your boss like you know it's like no yeah. she's she she is good at this and like she she has a purpose and like she earned it you yeah. know like and and for how badass she is she's she has insecurities yeah which yeah. to me that sounds awful human but yeah it makes her more human yeah for sure i mean like um, and of of course we will revisit that later on. But for now, chapter six, Robot Rondo. Yeah, um, I love the cover for this issue too. Oh, it's great. Yeah. He's just he's just chilling on his. I'm assuming his favorite. Yeah. Uchikoma. Yeah. Uh, 2029, October first. Fat Colonel Tonoda. <laughs> Because this man is just bulbous. I love this, this he's, he's introductory a, scene. He's a slutty fat man. He's teeing up on the course because he's a sleazy politician. He's got hot, hot robot chicks around him. Yeah. One of them, one of them just attacks him because fuck that guy, I guess. <laughs> um, we find one out. Of the, one of the major bots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we find out later that this particular android that attacks him is is a tomaland like a, a brand type android yeah she she's a prototype which is one of the ones that which is the same thing that uh the major's body is right i don't know actually i think they i know say they mentioned that, that but yeah. i don't 
because I think that he says when she comes in to talk to him, she's like, she's like, oh, a Tomlin. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that, and and I mean, just the fact that she looks exactly fucking like her too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Different, different hair, but you know. I think they have it in my fucking notes. Even my obviously, no one can see this, but I had to write like a dissertation length. (laughs) note section you were like a fucking just to summarize yeah just to <laughs> summarize ghost in the shell can i get college credits for this i'm not even in college but that would be a a, a nice sentiment um <laughs> elsewhere section nine is dispatched to assist the police in rounding up what is believed to be another tomaland because these things have been going berserk they're going out of control uh this one in particular has brutally murdered a couple of people yeah bato arrives uh he finds that it is not a Tomaland after ter- terminating it, as they say. Um, Togusa, on the other hand, has captured one that is, in fact, a Tomaland. Uh, they remarked that this is the eighth incident. So this has been happening for a bit. Yeah. Uh, they're starting to see a pattern. It is interesting as they are driving away. They've got this thing locked up in the back. Uh, and there are robots rights groups that are picketing them as they are driving away. Yeah. Uh, they're saying, they're like, you're ignoring our rights and stuff like that. And, and in, yeah, in, in almost the same way, she kind of, you know, treats the sweatshop from the other chapter. She's major remarks. Um, or no robot. Uh, sorry. Got caught up in my notes here. Major remarks. No one cares about a dead person, but the goddamn machines have got a whole lobby for them. Life is getting awfully cheap. I was going to quote that too. I really like that that quote. Like not as in like I agree with it. It's just like it's like whoa. Like you know that's it that's is yeah. Heavy. Like there, there is no snark here. It is not meant to be funny. She is just kind of laying bare like like this this these are kind of the issues in the world we're in now. Can I just say it too? Her fucking uh, her fucking outfit. Yeah. In this sequence is like the coolest thing. Like yeah. I want a fucking trench coat. Fucking black fucking turtleneck thing underneath and then the fucking shades yeah <laughs> she looks awesome Ma- major's got a cool wardrobe yeah <laughs> drip as they call it the drip the yeah. drip the drip of the major major drip that might be that's actually knowing uh how uh anime porn is that's probably a thing uh, don't type that in <laughs> <laughs> if you know if you've googled major drip please email major drip <laughs> if it's not i'm sure someone will make it at some point that's true all i know is i don't need it in my life i don't know um major and bato then meet up with ishikawa at the shinohama prefecture police station where he has been kind of doing his little investigation he's deduced that there has been an increase in robot self-destruction they are permitting themselves to attack humans by instigating their own breakdowns they're not sure why this is going on, but he surmises that the reason this is happening is because these robots are being trashed by companies as soon as the new model comes out and they don't want to be trashed. They don't want to be thrown away. It's almost like it's, a subconscious thing, like they're breaking their code routine to fucking yeah. like make themselves like rebel, like in like a really long game kind of way. Well, th- This is what's <laughs> weird is. They're still referring to them as like robots, like your tools. But then they're at least with with Ishikawa, he's saying they are they're basically saying like we don't want to be thrown away. Like we're we're individuals. Yeah. Like they're, they're consciously they're s- conscious. making that decision. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's so crazy. Um 
Aramaki reveals to the major that uh, fat boy Colonel Tonoda from earlier was attacked by, you know, the, the Tomlin, Tomlin, we know. Yeah. Um, and that we need to investigate it because SOS was written in blood in the e-brain section of the Tomlin that they found, as well as the eight other uh, rogue units that have happened at this point. SOS written in fucking blood. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We don't actually get a shot of this. It would have been kind of cool to see it yeah. drawn out. But uh, It's still an interesting, uh, just a cool way to illustrate that because you're like how the f- one how the fuck did that happen and yeah. two it's like it's like, like wow what does it mean it's a visceral imagery um so then we go to uh hanka robotics which uh they they have manufactured the the tomlins tomlins the brand but hank is the manufacturer i guess however that works yeah um and we meet the ceo who is a guy in a a box basically the the CEO of Hanka Robotics has chosen his cyber body. It's this it's called a Jameson type. It's basically a little metal box that has like little limbs and wheels. And he he loves it for some reason. <laughs> Rather than have like like being a buff dude or a sexy lady. He just wants to be a box. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, fair play, buddy. Um, They are interrogating their shipping inspector. Uh, they drug him to get some information out of him. We find out the reason they're doing this is because he's been suspected and then admits that he has set up all of these prototypes to go berserk. He says he claims he did it at the request of two men in a different department in exchange for like hooking up with women or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, CEO says weird uh, city stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, the CEO Basically says, uh, we're going to use you as a scapegoat because we don't want this getting back to us. So they they tell him to leave, um, which I think the intent is just that they're they're sending him on his way and then they'll they'll send the news crews after him or something. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't happen because as soon as this dude steps out, he happens to step out at the same time that Bato and Togusa arrive. Dude gets fucking shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, by a sniper who's just there waiting for this dude. So uh, as as they happen to be there, you know, they see the guy they take off. They uh, they get him and he's like he, he's I forget what they say. He's speaking some weird dialect. Um, Basically, this dude was part of some sort of organized crime, like a Yakuza type or whatever. Their boss was killed by one of the Tomlins. So he's there to get revenge. Now, I don't know if he knew the shipping inspector was uh, directly responsible or if he just wanted to take out anyone working for the company. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> seems like it could go either way. He doesn't that. seem that smart either. He's not. He seems like he's being used like, um, you know, it's like or was pointed to that direction type of thing. Yeah. Know, like. We also find out uh, that the organization he was a part of, I think he just straight up tells, he admits to it. They were smuggling children through the Philippines mm-hmm. for, uh, Hanka. Why are they doing that? I wonder if we'll find out. <laughs> um, so they go into Hanka to check it out. Uh, they find two kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lead. Yeah. Two kids, <laughs> two kids, <laughs> two kids. Uh, they're being pulled along by like some female Android, uh, they suspect that they're probably two of the kids that were smuggled in through the Philippines for whatever nefarious reasons. 
uh, Togusa punches out the female robot, mm-hmm. which uh, he then remarks, uh, sorry, but I believe in equality for the sexes. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> I don't know. She was doing evil shit. I didn't really, you know, call him out for being sexist, but it's still funny that he feels it's like funny he, that he even needed to mention it. Yeah. He feels like he had to say that. We know that Togusa has a wife, so maybe he was thinking about his wife when he punched out this this woman. lady robot. She's like taller than him, though, too. Yeah, like, she's like really big. She, she probably. Yeah, <laughs> she's intimidating. Probably, she probably could have beaten the shit out of him. Yeah. So um, they go into a room and they discover a fuck ton of children that are plugged into a ghost dubbing machine. This yeah. is this is different from the ghost hacking machine from the prior issue. Yeah. Essentially, a ghost dubbing machine is where they take a single individual and they're making copies of that individual's ghost and then shoving that into robots to give them consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness. The images of it, too. Like, this is like the first thing that came to my mind was this is like some, you know, sci fi version of like some Junji Ito shit. It's like just really fucked up looking and weird and uncomfortable. Oh, visually? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was going to I was going to say I have not uh, actually read anything Junji Ito. Yeah. Some just point. some fucked up stuff. But I was just going to ask if Junji Ito is really into like mass production and like tape taking shortcuts in production to save costs. I thought that's what you were implying. No, 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 not at all. Okay. <laughs> no, just like the the imagery of it like it looks like some just fucked up yeah, stuff yeah, you know yeah. it's like it's a little just, bit of gigger in there maybe very much so very much so um we find out that uh of course so hanka is uh dubbing over these ghosts to shove them in their bodies to sell them they're, they're cutting costs basically yeah they're doing it in the most heinous scummy way. they're they're using <laughs> human lives more or less um the two kids that are being dragged along, we find out that they are the ones causing all the Tomlins to go to Berserk. These these are the two men in question that the shipping supervisor had received the request from. Yeah. So I don't know if they, they like ghost hacked him or whatever, or if he was just covering by saying it was two men. It wasn't. These two kids made the request. And the reason they did is because basically they wanted to put out an SOS. They wanted to be rescued. Yeah. Um. Now that they see that the police or the authorities have arrived, because uh, I guess Bato just he just looks like that guy. They start to rejoice. They're like, "Yay, it worked. The plan worked. But uh, Bato is he's pissed off. He is not happy about this. He basically explodes them and asks if they even thought about the consequences of what they have done, because there are a lot of innocent people dead as yeah. a result of them causing these Tomlins to go crazy. I even thought too, like, um, uh, on a way, I know that Bato isn't like, you know, pure cyborg, at least like not, not in the way that like major is, mm. you know, but like, um, I, I was almost indicative of like, I thought we were leaning into a theme of like, um, you know, the robots, like what we were just talking about, how they was like, they were subconsciously like overriding themselves to, fight for their freedom and the fact that it, that wasn't the case yeah is like depressing and sad because it's like oh maybe they don't have like that will or the you know it's like it's a it's it's a it it, it brings that argument back to zero kind of thing like, yes but i would also say that the fact that someone like ishikawa is even willing to uh humor that thought yeah or, or the fact that he so he is so readily um, willing to accept the theory that that's what's going on 
means that for someone like him, he, he believes that not only is it possible or that he basically he his concept of human life or what he values as being like like human life. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. It's not a stretch for him to to look at a robot and consider it a human being or yeah, like this thing needs yeah. to have rights because it has a consciousness because it can conceive of itself or feel or think, yeah. you know, but it was almost like like them being them doing this uh, was like the smoking gun that proved it. And now it's like because of these kids, there's no real proof like <sighs> yeah. for this situation, at yeah, least definitely um, it's just an interesting, weird little like element to this chapter (laughs) yeah it's also just kind of crazy that i mean these kids i'm assuming these kids have come from uh a pretty bad place yeah yeah i mean they were presumably fucking kidnapped and fucking like forced into like copying brains and shit yeah whatever else you know i mean like i could hardly imagine you know i i can't you know you can't fault them for doing what seems like the best way to get out of there. Yeah. What, I mean, what else would they do? Yeah. Like they, uh, they could not know any better. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they can't just like hack someone and be like, go to a, a, the police and be like, Hey, go here. Uh, yeah. The, we're, we're actually, I'm actually two kids and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like all this shit it, that, that wouldn't work. You know, they I mean, didn't have like, to see the carnage though. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, did. that's true. Um, of course, after this, arrests are made, um, except for the president who takes off in his it's like him and his assistant in his hot rod. But yeah. he's he's driving it with his little like manipulator arm and he's <laughs> he's trying to get to the dock to his private boat so he can get the fuck out of there. But it's really funny because he like he drives up the little plank to get on the boat, but falls down in between the boat and the dock. And hilarious, he just kind of slides down like very comically into the ocean. And when they get there, they see what's happened and they're like, oh, he can survive in there for like a couple hours. <laughs> so we're just going to leave him. Let the police do the dirty work. They can dredge him up. This is a closed case. So that's kind of funny. A little uh, a little humor to kind of alleviate the horror. What's just yeah. happened? <laughs> I mean, the fact that the guy's a fucking box is really funny. But yeah, then, like, too, that it's, it's like he's just like his his weirdo, like insanely rich, like CEO mindset led him to make himself into a box, and then like, yeah. and then it's just like he's just fucking useless after that too. He's fucking useless. It's really funny. Um, he does actually appear in an episode of Standalone Complex, and uh. I'm going to have to cash in my weeb card here. I do actually like the dub of standalone complex. There's uh, some quality in the weeb card. Cash in the weeb card. I'm sorry. I, of course, the Japanese, the original is great, but the, the dub is actually pretty good, I think. But for whatever reason, they got a guy to do like a southern accent for his character in the dub. I love that. That's hilarious. It is so weirdly perfect because he's like, he's like, well, sure. Come on in. Do you want to see the new models? And he's just a fucking box. They're like a, a Jameson type. He's a box. He's like, well, there's nothing better than being in a box. And something, you're like, something like that. And you're like, why? Yeah. It's so. I don't know, man. Who knows what, what these corporate fat cats think. Yeah. I like the idea or imagining uh fucking um 
Shiro Matsumori. <laughs> just fucking thinking like, what would a weird CEO <laughs> turn himself into? Yeah. And he's like, a fucking box or something. Just like the dumbest thing you could think yeah. of. Yeah. Well, okay. Like, I'm going to get a little... I'm not trying to be creepy here, but like thinking about it in terms of what do these super powerful people do with their money? It's usually drugs, sex, all the, you know, all all the stuff, all the fun stuff that humans want to do in this future. You don't have to have a body to do that stuff. You can plug into a thing and get access to all those pleasures for lack of a better word. Yeah. So to him, maybe it's like, I don't need a body to do those things. So what's what's the fucking point? Yeah. I'll spend all my money on getting better quality shit to plug into. Maybe. Yeah. Or he just thought it was funny that he was a box. I think it's funny <laughs> that he's a box. I think being a box is more efficient. He thinks being a box more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chapter seven, Phantom Fund. 2029 december 24th christmas eve yeah uh this is my favorite issue in the whole book it's a pretty good one i quite like it um mr armaki is seeing off a russian diplomat who is a uh a tall pale woman with blue lips yeah she looks very fucking like dracula and stuff. yeah when (laughs) when i say pale i mean that they just didn't use any colors on her it's basically the white page yeah um, I do like that as they're talking, there is kind of an implied flirtation there. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, he, he's, he's kind of hitting on her a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but basically whatever their meeting was about as they're seeing her off, he, she tells him that her successor, Asha Chinov, I think I'm not good with Russian. Yeah. We'll call a him se- a Chinov. We'll call him Ash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ash was put in place because of money laundered by a General Marlov. Uh, basically, this guy was put in place to replace this other dude for for doing money laundering shit. In yeah. Russia. Um, Aramaki, after she takes off, Aramaki then briefs Section Nine uh, over what I'm assuming were the details of their meeting. There is a Russian cyborg terrorist named <laughs> Coil Krasnov. Which sounds like a fucking Harry Potter character. Yeah. I know this came out years before Harry Potter, but that sounds like he looks like a fucked up like build oh your own figure. Too. Oh my god, this <laughs> this dude, the design. I don't know if I like it or I hate it. He just looks so fucking. Weird. He has like vacuum tubes on his head. <laughs> yeah, and he's asymmetrical. He's got this big disgusting right arm. He, yeah, he's, he's got great, big disgusting like right robot arm that looks like it has like a a fucking like like knight armor piece on like the shoulder yeah and then he has like a tiny arm and like and, <laughs> and it's it's, it's a tiny arm it's fucking weird um but basically ash ash has smuggled this guy in he's ash was put in place to uh replace this other guy but he is none the more virtuous he is smuggled a cyber terrorist in so we need to go after this guy he is in hokkaido which is the northernmost island of japan so we're taking a little road trip um, I like the little establishing shot when they arrive too. Yeah, this crazy looking, just like mass yeah. of buildings and they on a giant like hill and shit yeah. like that too. It's cool. Uh, Hokkaido is supposed to be a very scenic place. Uh, I know it snows a lot there. It's supposed to be beautiful Japanese countryside. Oh, that it, makes sense this- too. Because uh, when when he's talking to the the big vampire lady, 
um, when Aramaki's talking to her, uh, there's like there's like snowflakes like yeah. around <laughs> and stuff. Do you, like, do you read her voice in a Russian accent? I did. Yeah, after yeah. I after I saw her dialogue, you, you I was kind of like, yeah, like, you kind of can't sense. not. At first, it was it was total Transylvanian, but yeah. Let's see. Um, in parting, I'm going to give you a little present. <laughs> I apologize to all the Russian listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's Hokkaido supposed to be beautiful, scenic Japanese countryside where it snows, but then, of course, in this con- tech- techno conglomerate future, it's just a disgusting mass of concrete. Yeah, that. um, just protruding from the the otherwise yeah. nice mountain. Um. Basically, we're going to check out a company called Sagawa Electronics, uh, and they've been monitored for a while at this point because they're expanding their underground factory into what is called the Bertard Ward, uh, which we eventually we get a visual later. And basically, they're like they're like tunneling deep into the ground to uh, expand their their factory for whatever electronics they make. Yeah. Um, and furthermore. It is close to the Russian border. Uh, Hokkaido geographically is is like it butts right up to Russia. That's how fucking big Russia is. It reaches all the way over there. Yeah. Um, their factory is potentially going to expand into old Soviet territory where there's an old Soviet base in Japan from like previous wars. Um, if they do that, that's when Section 9 will have to move into act to prevent basically a, a skirmish or a, a border dispute. Yeah. Um. Bato also mentions that they have already sent someone ahead. It's a new recruit who is named Yano. He is on site and he has been tailing Kroll, Coil. Uh, so they don't even have to do the work. They have they can basically go there and know where this guy is already. Or so they think. Um, they arrive. They split up. Radio silence. Uh, don't want anyone listening in. Yeah. Although I guess they could still... Brain dive. They don't really explain it. It's just kind of mentioned offhand. So don't need to worry about it too much, I guess. Um, said new recruit, Yano, we find him dead. And when I say dead, he is like he's missing a chunk of his fucking rib cage. Yeah, they like even show it with like a blanket over him. And yeah. it's like this inhumanly giant gash, like just like cut out of him. <laughs> like the blanket sinks into the gash. <laughs> like yeah. it's so steep and big. Yeah, it's um, pretty unnerving. And kind of following on the previous chapter where we see, you know, Bato get emotional, we we see him get. He's very upset. That, we, that he's, he's very dead. upset. Yeah. yeah, he's very upset at this. Probably feels quite guilty. Um, he, even, he calls the chief an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's trying to, like, yell at him. Yeah, I, I think he's he's upset about it to the point where he's wanting to put blame on just whoever maybe even potentially deflecting it from himself himself yeah, yeah. uh which again it's quite a human thing to do yeah he's a good guy he, he is that's why he's my favorite yeah he's cool and he's got the the eye things yeah the weird eye things <laughs> um elsewhere's major is meeting up with a guy named crolden who is an informant uh, it's implied that they have history together this dude is like um do you remember in Serenity where they meet that guy? I think he's called Mr. Universe. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Firefly movie? Oh, yeah. They meet that dude who's like an informant, but he has robot wives with him. 
Uh-uh. That's basically what this dude is. So I'm calling yeah. bullshit and saying Joss Whedon just stole it from this guy. <laughs> I, I have no confirmation that that happened. Please you don't skip, Joss You Whedon. skipped a funny little part where um, a major is just walking down the street and a man uh, drives by oh, yeah. and throws a fire axe <laughs> at yes, her. Yes. Um, for And what does he say? Uh, death to the military industrial complex. Yeah. Like just fucking out of nowhere. And he throws a fucking axe into her back it's like sticking out of her yeah <laughs> and she's just and she fucking just like opens fire on him and stuff i yeah, think does she kill great. him i think she kills him probably yeah it's like what the fuck it man? does yes yeah, whips back yeah. yeah i think she gets him <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> yeah uh so after that after that little incident after that running with the locals she meets up with curled in her contact basically he's got a map of the area ready for her because it's this massive like just fucking maze of buildings and side streets and all this other shit. Did you feel like with the the way that he draws him too? And I don't know what I haven't actually like just sat down and really pinpointed what's different about him. But the art style, it's not different, but it's just the way he depicts this character. He almost looks like uh He's from like King of the Hill or something. I don't know. <laughs> like I just like it, it. Maybe it's the nose or something. I don't know. It's like it, it's just a little bit different than the rest of the characters in the book. Yeah, I. He's distinct. He almost kind of looks like I don't know. Maybe he's supposed to be a stereotypical like like nerd who's really good with computers and stuff. But and that's how he has all these these chicks around him. Yeah, he he would of course prefer the company of robot women because he doesn't know how to talk to a, an actual <laughs> flesh and blood female. Yeah, uh, maybe he. I don't know. Maybe he's based off someone uh, Masamune Shiro knows in real life. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just it, like I said, it didn't take me out or anything. I just thought like, wow, that character design is a lot different than like anybody else in the book. Really, you know, he's got um, or at least I'm assuming because it could be lighting or it could be. The dude himself, but he's got that like red nose. Yeah, that's what I mean too. Like, which the, is implied his nose that he has is like, like huge. And yeah, like, it's like it's. Eh, I don't know. I think that's kind of what reminded me of like King of the Hill. Yeah, <laughs> it's like someone should draw this guy in with them having a beer yeah. before them <laughs> with their ro- robot wives. Dang old robot yeah, wives. Yeah, Hank, he's got robot wives. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Dale would have a fucking field day with those robot yeah, wives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make me a cup of hot hot Dr. Pepper. Is hot that what Dr. he drinks? Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> um fuck, I'm losing my place here. Um so she goes off to investigate Bato and Ishikawa. Check out the excavation zone. Um we get a little encounter with uh the security force from Sagawa and they they fuck with them, they take them out. Yeah. Um and they find uh, Coil, our weird little vacuum tube head guy, he's trying to smuggle gold into Russia. Um, yeah, I was like really confused by this at first. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was we, like, it, it's- <laughs> yeah, we find out we find out in a minute, like what is going on here? Um, basically, they have a very brief tussle and Bato fucking kills him. Like, yeah. it's it. I don't want to say anticlimactic, but it's like. It's almost like very realistic. Well, like yeah. in a way, like a skirmish when it like last out that long when when both these people like just shoot each other. Yeah, you know? like but it's I, like I think the brevity of it too is also maybe to reinforce the fact that he is he is not having it with this dude. He's not fucking oh, he, around. Yeah, he he's pissed. Yeah, he's like they even it. 
uh, like he starts to get away and we we barely see him die because Bato like waits for him to get away and then shoots him. We see him drop dead at the end of the hall. Yeah. And it's there's something just kind of like kind of cold and clinical about it. It's like he's, he's doing his job, but also fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more of an emotional. Uh, it is to that operation. Um, and this is <laughs> this is the point at which we find that Togusa maybe has reconsidered uh, what happened with him in the major a few issues ago where she had to stop him. Yeah. Using his ghost key because he repeats verbatim a line she throws at him or he says dead men don't talk mm-hmm. or name yeah. names we need. So uh, maybe a bit of bit of growth there or maybe maybe just showing that understanding, I think. Yeah. Um, he has time to cool off, maybe consider the situation and understands at least why she did what she did. Yeah. Even um, though it's still a gross Im- invasion of privacy. Sure. But <laughs> um, the major infiltrates the office of the the president of Sagawa uh, more or less comes in. <laughs> guns him down only find that the president is just a robot no ghost no ai he's just just being controlled remotely presumably yeah uh, and she notices uh some info discs on the desk which just look like cds um he was trying to delete these basically after being alerted that they were there trying to cover up any info of what he had been doing there um she checks out the discs and find that uh, General Marloff, the guy that was supposed to replace basically the guy that was responsible for our weird little dude coil coming in, uh, was making a deal with the president to embezzle public funds under the pretext of defense funds. That's the gold that creepy little dude was smuggling over. Yeah. Basically, they were embezzling funds saying it was for defense. But no, we're sending it all to, to Russia. Um, as she's doing this, a fucking statue on the wall <laughs> steps out of the wall and, and tries to like, like, like take her out basically. But she stops him and basically recognizes that this is some guy named Colonel Sohei Kagasaki, uh, who is Marlov's co-conspirator. At this point, it's kind of just like, like mush in my brain. What's going on with this, this <laughs> fucking conspiracy? Um, it's major, a wide, major had to have a boss fight in this issue, too. Yeah, so. she had to have a boss fight. <laughs> Whatever it is that's going on is just a cool excuse for her to fight a weird wall statue. Yeah, but, and uh, it does some weird stuff like it like stretches and like contorts yeah. around and stuff. It's um, uh, it's interesting. She plays like she can't take him out. So she throws on her camo and basically says like, <laughs> like, I cannot fight you, so I must escape. She doesn't say that exactly, but it's that's like it's what's what implied. she implies. Yeah, she does that. So. Uh, Colonel Kagasaki then transfers his consciousness to a sexy lady statue. Yeah. <laughs> to jump out and escape. But of course, the major is there waiting for him in the hallway. Yeah. She, she just faked her escape and arrests him. Um, later on, the Minister of Internal Affairs reveals that Ash has been summoned back to Russia, which is basically dude got found out for what he he was doing. They called him back. He's probably going to get thrown in the gulag. Have fun, buddy. Yeah. Um, Aramaki then tells the major that Lieutenant Colonel Sohei, who is uh, our lady statue, had been stationed in Hokkaido and Sagao Electronics in order to spy on the Soviets. But for whatever reason, basically decided to turn on the government for being, 
I don't know. Forgot what whatever the reasons were. Yeah. Um, Armaki asks about all the gold ingots that they found that were being smuggled. Um, he notices that uh, the recruit Yano's bank account had uh, a deposit made that was about the amount, the equivalent of one gold ingot. <laughs> um, Major just kind of says, uh, it was an apology from Coil. Uh, basically, compensation, them trying to do something for his family, who uh, Aramaki then responds, well, in that case, just don't put it in your report. So kind of back to the whole, like, morally ambiguous aspect of it. It's like... <sighs> They're not using it for personal gain. They're trying to do right by his family who would have gotten fucked anyways. This this guy died because of us. So it's like it's it's not correct. It's not the law. But what they're doing is not, you know, lining their own pockets. You make up your own mind about it. Yeah. The moral implications of it. I don't know. Right or wrong kind of makes me go. Aramaki's cool sometimes. Yeah, no, I mean, I I was think like he always comes out like seeing like he cares about his yeah, team yeah. and what's for the best you which know? we definitely will see here in just a bit yeah um bato and major go to visit yano's grave um to where bato finally just lets it out he's he feels guilty about it um he's the one that put the kid in the position where he got horribly murdered he feels guilty about it major just says at least he can get a grave uh, she remarks when she dies, her body will be repossessed by the government and studied or recycled. Um, I th- I think they do mention somewhere else. Basically, because the major is full cyborg, her body was paid for when she was in the military. I think yeah. her, her body was like government funded, essentially. Mm-hmm. So when she dies, it goes back to them. Yeah. Uh, which is a pleasant thought. Um, as they leave, they notice Yana's brother is at his grave and the flowers they have left there. He has angrily, angrily thrown to the ground. Uh, the man is grieving, so I cannot begrudge him. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I will say, too, um, in the scene right before when they go to visit the grave, uh, when Aramaki's talking to a major and she like appears uh having listened to like the conversation that he had, you know, mm. she's got a total like Lady Gaga thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sick. <laughs> this weird, like shoulder design. Thing Major drip. Just, yeah. <laughs> Major drip. Don't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chapter eight, issue eight. I've been inconsistent with how I've been saying these. <laughs> Fuck it. Number eight, dumb barter, dumb barter, dumb barter, whatever that means. For all you fucking dummies out there. <laughs> 2030, May 2nd, um, we are introduced to a Mr. Soma who is like strapped into a bunch of like he's got stuff sticking out of his head. Basically, he's having some sort of cyber brain augmentation done. Mm-hmm. Uh, All these weird robo nurses and doctors and stuff. Around <laughs> yeah. Um, the the head surgeon that's doing the operation says that. uh Everything's fine. They need to do a test run on whatever they've augmented, though. But Soma says uh, it's already sinking perfectly for his needs. As he says this, we see in the background a massive spider tank, mm-hmm. kind of similar to the Fuchikoma. But this thing is fucking huge. Like it's two to three times bigger. Yeah, it's gigantic. And it's th- the way that it's drawn. You look at the Fuchikomas. They're kind of cute. 
Yeah. They're, they're kind of more round yeah. and they, they look, you know. Like your little guys. And yeah, little, guy, little come, buddy. Come hang out. This thing looks like it's made to fuck up some stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it defines much more of the, the word tank. Absolutely. Um, we then cut to Major Kusanagi's apartment. We get a little look at her uh, her personal life. We don't. Yeah. Throughout this entire series, we don't really get too much of a look at what these people do on their off time. They're mostly working on cases and stuff. We do see uh, Togusa's got a wife and two kids. Um, I think that might be it. So we kind of get to see what her apartment looks like, what she does on her off hours. Um, she's got a boyfriend. Yeah. Having a little exchange with her significant other. Uh, he is apparently in section one. Makes comment about uh, section nine being too strict, implying that uh, section one is a little loose with their info leaks. Yeah. And maybe with other things. Is this the point where you kind of figured out that the sections were like? Yeah. It, this, well, this is like defined it for me because I was like, I was like, oh, it's not like a different part of town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like I said, they don't really explicitly say it. Of all the of all the information yeah. he gives us, he doesn't tell he doesn't define that till later. And you know, I've been thinking about that since you said that, and I realized the only reason I knew what it was reading this for the first time is because I had seen the movie before I ever read this. Yeah. It's so a bit more clearly defined in that. So I can't even imagine what it's gotta be like for someone going into this having never seen any of the animated stuff. I mean, it didn't really like um I don't know, like inhibit the experience or anything. It was just like one of those things where I'm like, oh, like, right. You know, like it, it was almost like I, I kind of thought like, oh, are we going to run into like uh, the Black Ops version of like Section 6 at some point or something? Yeah. You know, like a like a like a, a, a group that's similar or something like that, you know, but Which like, yeah, <laughs> but like it was. um, But, you know, it, it, it didn't like they didn't bring it up like that often to the point where I'm like oh, this changes the context of everything for me. It was just like, yeah, right around here was where I was like, oh, okay, yeah. it's 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 branches. It's not yeah. fucking sections of the city or whatever. Um, They're talking or whatever. She's getting ready to leave for the day to go to work. Um, She's all dressed up in like her her like military suit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The doorbell rings and uh, when she goes to answer it, she is greeted by a shotgun blast. Yeah. Bakum. That's good. Bakum. Yeah, it's a Bakum. Hang on. I want to see what mine says. <laughs> yeah, it's big, big Bakum. Big Bakum. Sounds like a Street Fighter character. Yeah. <laughs> big Bakum. Yeah, it's like she looks at the, uh, or she, she goes to the door and then she hears the gun cock and it's a Wachak and then Bakum. Mine is, uh, Toka. Toka. <laughs> Shack Doka. <laughs> yeah, Chack is pretty much the same. Yeah. Um I like that we get this next sequence too, uh um with like no dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Uh in said no dialogue sequence, she shoots the perp in the back, but dude falls and reveals that he's he's got a bomb in his stomach. Basically. She, she shoots his arm off. <laughs> It's Does like, she? Yeah, his arm is like gone. See? Shit, I should have flipped through this again before yeah. we started. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. How did I not remember that? It's it's gruesome. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's because there's tons of gruesome stuff. Yeah, in here. true, true. Um yeah, he's he's got a bomb and explodes, and we just we get a an outside shot of the apartment exploding, so we're we don't know if they got hurt or yeah, not. Are they okay? 
Uh, and that's when we cut to Aramaki and Bato rushing to the hospital. And it's like, again, starting starting to let on how much I mean, Bato cares. We know that this dude has a beating heart and he gives a shit. But how much Aramaki like actually cares about his people? They're, mm-hmm. they're rushing there after they've heard that she was in a bomb. Um, and when they arrive, um, the the sort of what do you want to call it? Not tension, but it's like it's like, oh, shit. Oh, it's bad. What's what's their fate? They get there and it's undercut by them sitting there. They're fine. They're and having they, they're having tea. Well, they bust through the door <laughs> and she just says she made a bet, basically, that Section nine would arrive faster than Section one. She just turns to her boyfriend yeah. and says, see, I see, told you so. <laughs> just like I said, Section nine's faster. Pay up. <laughs> boyfriend leaves so they can kind of discuss what happens. Uh, Ishikawa's at the scene. He reveals that the bomb was intentionally made to act as a warning. Basically, the yield of the blast was not designed to kill, but was there to provoke or warn that someone's someone's after her. Yeah. Um, based off of, I guess, how the bomb is constructed, Major suspects that is it is uh, Toru Soma, who is, of course, the man we saw at the beginning getting the brain augmentation. Uh-huh. He he is a terrorist who four years ago, her former, I guess, platoon set out to wipe out this terrorist cell, and he's the only one that got away. So because she led the crew that took out his his crew, he's got a, a basically he wants revenge. Yeah. It's a revenge story. Um, Aramaki assigns everyone except Kusanagi to go start investigating. and She's like, why are you leaving me out? And he goes, don't, the, don't be stupid. You're the yeah. bait. It's yeah. <laughs> I Idiot. thought I thought it was going to be the old classic. uh, uh you're too close to this, like, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, it's, it's good. <laughs> now he's like, you're, you're too close to this. He yeah. tells her to go start digging. Basically, he's like, you're the bait. Go dig up something, whoever this is, go draw them out. Yeah. So that is exactly what she does. Um, on the way out, though, she stops and asks her boyfriend if... And I want to mention, too, I thumbed through this a couple times his name is never mentioned. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. She asked him if he has given her info to anyone. Yeah, she's like, you showed someone my photo, didn't you? Um, he reveals that the chief of section one and two of his men know about her as he had her checked out. Um, which seems kind of suspect, but the line, you know, given the line of work they're both in, you can kind of see where she he's coming from, but she basically says, "Call it even," because she had him checked out. Too, yeah, so. she had Section Nine check him out. They're and then to- she walks away all pissed. They're they're together for a reason. They're after they both she, think the same, I guess. After she throws her cool glasses on. After she throws her f- cool fucking glasses on, major drip. <laughs> Don't Google it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kusanagi goes to uh, dig up info. She takes Toga so long. Um, they go to where they basically they go, they find files where they suspect that Soma's probably hanging out. They go to that location, uh, but en route, they are followed by armed men. Um, what they don't know is that major has camouflaged Fuchikoma's uh, hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> basically stops these guys uh, or goes to stop these guys, but then are fucking obliterated from the smoke and rubble emerges the spider tank from earlier. Like I said, this thing looks like it is made to fuck shit up, and that is exactly what it is doing. 
Saito recognizes Saito, who is uh, at this point not really been utilized that much. Saito is the sniper. So usually when they're out doing stuff, he's he's hanging out somewhere from afar looking it out. But yeah, he mentions from his experience in the military that it is a German think tank. And this prompts Aramaki to go confront Section One because uh, they utilize think tanks or he, he makes a connection, basically. Um, the two are connected. Anyways, Major takes out the men that have followed them. But when she goes to engage the tank, she I mean, she can't touch it. The the thing just annihilates everything in its path. Yeah. Um, this is one of the few scenes where in, in the manga, at least it is, I think, well illustrated the the power of some of these things, like the damage they they can do, because it just starts opening fire and everything in its path is, is just torn to pieces. Yeah, it's it's cool, but it's also terrifying. Yeah, maybe we fear for her a little bit. It'll be like above in like a little like, you know, space between like some stuff to prop it up and just be like firing down. And there's nothing but fire and smoke. Yeah, like everywhere. Uh, Of course, she can't fight it head on. So she she just tries to get the fuck out of there. She manages to get away. But as she is kind of like limping down these sort of like side alleys, she runs into her fucking boyfriend. Yep. He's, Who is, he's confused as to why she is there. Something is going on. She's not supposed to be there, but she is. Uh, she throws a fucking knife at him and yeah. runs off because she's like, something's up with this fucker. I don't trust him. Uh, disables him. Doesn't doesn't, you know, kill him or anything, but throws a knife at the dude. Runs off. Um, basically calls Aramaki to warn him that section one is involved. But of course, Armaki is on his way to section one or he's already there. So uh-huh. they're they're operating on the same wavelength there. Um, and he he finds the dude and he's like, he's it's the section one version of Armaki. Yeah. And he's like, tell your people to back off, uh, which he kind of shows indifference at. And he's like, oh, that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> Armaki pulls a fucking gun on him. Yeah. Armaki's <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he gives a shit about his people to the point where he will he will threaten physical violence on someone or as much as he can because he's he's a little guy, but he's got a gun. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Almost sounds like an American. Um, <laughs> basically, Section One made a deal with Soma in order to get they're They're trying to get a hold of a <laughs> a drug lord called the Anaconda, which has nothing to do with this story, but he made up a name just for this one character to explain why they've made a deal with a known terrorist. Yeah. And the the exchange for Soma to uh, take out this drug lord called Anaconda is Kusanagi herself. They're basically going to trade her for for taking out this other guy. Yeah. Um, Saito's with Aramaki. He basically says, sit here and watch this fucker, like, make sure he doesn't get away. So Aramaki takes off. Section one is called off. Um, Motoko's boyfriend, uh, knife promptly removed from his shoulder where she threw it. Rushes in to help her because the think tank has found her again and uh, has her head in like a grip with its arm. It's like basically got her by the head and has her off the ground is is threatening to crush it. Yeah, there's nothing he can do. I mean, he wants he wants to he wants to look like he he cares. Maybe he does care. Who knows? At this point, he goes in to help. He can't do anything. And then fucking Boma shows up with a big ass gun and takes out this tank. (laughs) Yeah, Um. It's kind of interesting. 
out of this whole story, just this little section with the tank is is what they used for the movie. Yeah. Towards the end, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll, we'll get to. I'm yeah, sure. we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, After they they basically disable the tank, they pull Soma out and uh, Kusanagi plugs him, finally finishing the job from four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and when she does, she says, bye bye, terrorist. If you've got a problem with this world, make sure you stay in the next one you're going to. Hell. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. It's a great, like, sort of goofy, badass line, which just... <laughs> it's like something fucking George W. Bush would have said. Bye-bye, terrorist. Bye-bye, terrorist. You have a problem with this world, stay in the next you one. You go to your home. Hell. <laughs> um... And uh, yeah, after this, she decides that, you know, the relationship's not going to work out. And uh, she sarcastically wishes him luck with the Anaconda assassination operation and kind of just like, I don't know, kind kind of fuck you leaves. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So she, she like, gives him shit. Uh, Theron is the the dumb barter. They should not have bartered like that. Yeah. It was dumb. He's got dumb barter. Chapter nine. Bye bye, Clay. 2030, July 15th. So this is essentially where the uh, main arc or from here to the end of the book. This is kind of like one big story. Yeah, they don't. It's the anthologiness of it is is kind of over at this point, which I don't know if he had planned it like this or at this point he just decided to to have it be a continuing story uh anyways major and togasa are called in to investigate uh at megatech where one of the manufacturing cells which is basically a little little setup where it it builds things automatically kind of like how you know robots build cars on assembly lines but one of the manufacturing cells uh has just started assembling parts into a complete military grade robot uh which the major recognizes being specced similar to to her her shell, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it just built this robot and the robot fled, ran away. Um, it is eventually taken into custody by Section nine after it is hit in traffic. We see this robot, which is like a a nude blonde woman trying to dodge traffic, trying to get somewhere. And it's just taken out by a bus. Yeah. Um. Which is a pretty striking opening. Yeah, it's very like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, They've got it in their lab, which at this point is basically the torso, the head and like the right arm. And the scientists in the lab hook it up and uh, try to start like like stimulating it, I guess. But it starts moving of its own volition, Mm -hmm. Um, which they're all like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, they, they start to question to what degree it could it could be intelligent or aware. Uh, while they're doing this, though, we're introduced to another section, sec- section nine and the head of section nine, Nakamura, which is just another, you know, corporate dude. Uh, this guy does have what looks like a plate on the side of his head. Yeah, I couldn't really. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a weird, um, y- you know, like those, uh, those like um, medical, like, plastics that people use to like shape their face and stuff like that yeah it looks like that kind of just on the outside yeah but it's just on the (laughs) outside yeah um and he i think he also has the same like optical implants that bato uses it looks like the same thing yeah uh 
But dude waltzes in and uh, basically starts demanding that Section 9 hand over the remains of the robot, uh-huh. who he reveals is, in fact, the puppeteer. Yeah. First mentioned in Chapter 2. He claims that this body is the ghost dub version of a living hacker, which they coerced into the body so they could capture and return him to U.S. authorities where said hacker was born. (laughs) Which is such a uh, weird idea, like like a weird but cool idea that like they can trap his consciousness in a body. (laughs) Um, It's very in keeping with all the other convoluted shit in this fucking book. Yeah, yeah. He does go on to explain it. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) The robot interrupts him, though, basically to inform both parties that they are neither a human ghost dub nor an AI, but are, in fact, a living and thinking life form born in the vast sea of digital information. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, they request political asylum as they are. They basically say, like, I am a I am a being. I'm a living, thinking being. I request political asylum from Section 9 specifically. Um, as this is happening, though, an explosion goes off and uh, it's just a smoke screen. But when the smoke kind of dissipates, they find the puppeteer is, has disappeared. We find out that it's just a member of Section 6 using the same kind of uh, thermal camouflage that Major uses. Someone snuck in and captured it, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nakamura plays dumb like he doesn't know what's going on and acts pissed off, says something about filing a complaint and leaves. Um, but as Major and Bato had kind of recognized the same camo that they use was being used, uh, they actually they set up trackers in advance to tail the getaway car as they saw this kind of basically they saw it all unfolding as it happened. Yeah, but kind of chose to let them go about it so they could, you know, kind of follow them and see what's going on. So they're doing a bit of highway cat and mouse with this car that uh, has the the top section of this robot in the back seat, and it's a couple guys, presumably from Section 9, are running away with this. Um, Major Bato and Togusa eventually stop the car. The two men driving, though, set off an explosion to destroy the puppeteer's body. Kusanagi manages to dive in, though, just before, like, it burns up or whatever data is in there is lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and has them like wheel in a like a battery or something to basically boost the signal to just get in there and get whatever is left, whatever information is in there before the body is just completely destroyed. Like I said, yeah. Um, so they're they're kind of interfacing, interfacing. They're talking. Uh, the puppeteer basically reveals that they are the result of something called Project Twenty Five Hundred One. Um. They puppeteer explains that they were created as a program to bolster politicians ratings. I think something ultimately doesn't matter what they were designed to do, but they were considered a bug when when the sort of like consciousness developed was recognized as a bug by the programmers. Um, That's when they were placed into a body to be removed from that program. Mm -hmm. Um which they're not a bug. They're like they explained. They're they're a being. A sentient thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm a being. I'm a thing. <laughs> Can you imagine the puppeteer voiced by Taika Waititi? <laughs> it fits. I'm the puppeteer. <laughs> I'm a being. I'm a thing from the net of information. You imagine like this, like it's like these hard, like the scene is, you know, the same as it is in the book, except for like the exposure of like, 
when they have the body hooked up and it's like this big like dun 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 like really deep pounding like modern electronic kind of big hit music and then he's just like hello well yeah he's like he's like we coerced him into this body to arrest him and return him to the united states he goes what bruv it's actually not quite true <laughs> it's actually you not see, quite true i'm, I'm a thing <laughs> can i get that political asylum bruv god damn it <laughs> he would do a good job he would i trust him yeah um as the, the this whole time they're having this conversation, we get like kind of a visual metaphor or a a visual description of the major is like further infiltrating into this program to, to get more information. Mm-hmm. Um, she notices the flow of information as she's like pushing further in. I don't completely understand what is going on here, but more <laughs> or less the net the inf- like the the network she is in starts breaking down but then reforms and she notices that her consciousness within the net is being reformed with with the net as as it has broken down and reformed and realizes that she is basically now part of the net uh-huh. her consciousness and the net have merged somewhat in a way that she doesn't necessarily understand before she can really even think about it, though, she sees like an angel coming to to like like the feet of an angel. What looks like an angel coming down to touch the sort of visual representation of the puppeteer's consciousness right before it touches. She's pulled out and wakes up at headquarters. She's been out for a little while. Basically, there was a risk of her, I guess, diving too far or just kind of like dying or something but they got her out just before the puppeteer died and took her with her i guess yeah um which is what the angel represents is basically the, the puppeteer dying um she remarks that uh similar incidents started happening let me let me think about this as she is recovering she remarks that the puppeteer must have disintegrated on its own she remarks that if similar incidents start happening human survival will be threatened the incidents in question being random like consciousnesses forming or just beings popping up from the sea of information essentially life is now coming from the net in addition to being born yeah um it's a new like source of life yeah that's how she understands it now and she starts thinking of it as if this continues humans like their existence may be threatened yeah because it's like a different type of being. She starts to make a comment, but trails off. You know what? It happened when I did a brain dive into him just before I lost consciousness. That doesn't finish the thought. She will later. Dun, dun. Yeah. Part 10. Brain drain. 2030. September 9th. Major Bato Saito are prepping to stealth infiltrate a terrorist boat via futuristic diving equipment um as well as this crazy like whale submarine cyborg thing <laughs> which looks like the upper torso of a robot attached to a fucking sperm whale yeah it's it's kind of weird <laughs> i thought that it looks super fucking neat it's it like the art is awesome yeah it's very <laughs> counter to like what you would think of as a like future tech submarine boat thing. Yeah. It's more organic looking. Yeah. 
I know. Nice well, little change of pace. Yeah, it's cool. Same thing with the uh, the choppers they use. If you notice, they have they have wings, but then they have like flaps on them that make them look kind of like bird wings. Yeah, the way that they move. Yeah, those look really cool in the movie. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they yeah. Little bits of sort of like odd to organic life thrown in there, yet everything is is mechanized. Super technological. Yeah. I mean, we got a place called Megatech. So. Megatech. <laughs> um, just as they're about to set off on the mission, uh, Major, she sort of freezes, stops what she's doing, and realizes that she senses the presence of the puppeteer. She says, I sense it again. Basically, all this time, she has been sensing the presence of the puppeteer within her own consciousness. Uh, she ignores it, though, as they have job to do. They successfully infiltrate the boat where they intend to capture the target, this terrorist, whoever they're they're going after, but ends up shooting them instead in self-defense. Uh, Aramaki's pissed. He notices that something is off, though, because usually she would take down their target, no problem. Yeah. Um, Bato kind of pulls him aside and remarks that she has been quite off since they're running with the puppeteer. Um, said terrorist that they were going after their goal was to assassinate the Japanese foreign minister who allegedly had been trying to get the heads of major corporations to form joint ventures with Israel. Some corporate bullshit at this point. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't even have anything to do with the story you're trying to tell. This is, this is just information like all this political intrigue. Yeah. Political intrigue. Um, their investigations cut short though, when they, they find out that there is footage of her shooting the terrorists they were going to arrest earlier. It's like paparazzi style footage. Yeah. Um, and it's it, been shot which is like fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's been made. It's been shot though, to make it look like she shot this person unarmed. Yeah. Is obviously being framed. She's being framed more or less. Uh, the parents of the terrorists that they shot are pissed. They're taking section nine to court. This is kind of the beginning of what we were talking about earlier, where Section 9 is a they're black ops. They're off the books. They are not supposed to exist. They are not supposed to be doing the things that they do. They are circumventing the law. Yeah. But now they are being dragged into court. Um, On the way, Aramaki on the way to the, the hearing said hearing Aramaki meets with a member of the Ministry of Justice, the Ministry of Justice, uh, basically to get his advice on the court hearing. This guy says, ditch Kusanagi, like, he's a, yeah, give her up, basically. G- give her up. Um, You can salvage Section 9. It's her fault. That's who they're after. Just ditch her and you'll be okay. Which we know Aramaki's not going to do that. Yeah. Um, He mentions to her that if she pleads guilty, she'll get a two-year pr- prison sentence. Um, But they realize... No matter what happens, if she goes into prison, even if she does take that plea, she'll be assassinated at some point. Uh, she's made a few too many enemies, I think, that are probably in there. Would like to see her dead. Yeah. Um, she kind of makes an offhanded request of Aramaki. If I should die for some reason, keep my radio paging channel open. It's kind of like, that's a little odd, but yeah, you got it. They go through the hearing. They do all that. And they're they're taking a little recess. They're waiting on the jury's sentence. Um, I think Aramaki kind of realizes at this point that they are not winning this no matter what they do. Yeah. Uh, I was a little disappointed we didn't get like, uh, 
straight up like judicial procedure <laughs> like issue yeah. in this. I mean, like, yeah, you don't even really like see much of them doing anything in the court. It's just, uh, it's just kind of talked about or talked around, you know? Maybe that's outside of Masamune Shiro's expertise. Oh, that's too complicated. It is for too him. complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, he basically says, I got to use the men's room. Which she recognizes as him basically giving her the out. He's got to use the men's room. So she takes the fuck off. She calls up Bato and asks him to grab enough parts to construct a spare cyber body and then to meet up with her. Um, So essentially, she's rogue at this point. Yeah. She's disappeared. Government officials. Ghost protocol. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ghost in the show protocol. Um. Government officials kind of they swarm Aramaki because he's got a rogue agent. They want to know what the fuck he's going to do about it. And he basically tells them what he I think he's he's making it up. I don't think him and uh, Kusanagi are in contact necessarily, but he lays out that she believes the entire operation uh, is being set up by said Israeli forces, blah, 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 that are going on to come after her or something like that. Yeah. It's besides the point. Basically, he's he's laying out something to kind of make them think that he is on their side. He says that she has gone to visit what is called a face artist, which I think is basically a, a craftsperson, someone that can modify your cyborg face, give you a new face. So you can like, you know, slip away. You can you can disappear into the crowd. Yeah. Change your identity. Um. And she's going after this this face artist. Uh, Armaki sets out to pursue her with uh, another member of public security who he knows is is already tailing him anyways. So he's like, I'll save you the time. Just come with me. Just I put that in there. It's kind of funny. He's like, I, I know what you're doing anyways. Like, I'm too yeah. good for that. Just come with <laughs> me. Fuck it. Um, they receive word that Kusanagi has indeed captured the face artist and is holding him ransom. Uh, in exchange for a helicopter to escape and money, the it's it's all a ruse. She just went after this guy to to try to get them to come after her. Yeah. Um, they find her at the requested drop off location. SWAT teams are there. Um, they lure her out and basically they they shoot her head off. It seems a little too easy, and that's that's because it is. She's basically set up her own uh demise. She wants people to think that she's dead because we cut a distance away where Bata is watching the whole thing through binoculars and, and comments. He uh, he sarcastically laments the major's beautiful body has been destroyed um, and very weirdly makes a comment about like, I think one of the cops is trying to have sex with your dead body. Yeah, he says, which is some <laughs> young stud cops raping you. And then which, and she's, she's like, like fuck, you, you. fuck you, you liar. It's like. Oh my God, Bato has no chill. Yeah, for real. Um, I, I do want to say too. Uh, <laughs> I love in in her little uh, plan here when um, they approach the uh, helicopter. Yeah, and um, you know the dude is sitting there, and it looks like he's by himself. And she does the thing where she decloaks. Yeah, and she and she's like there holding him, you know, and holding the gun to him, and she's like, "Relax, it's an old maneuver or whatever." I like that reveal. I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, and that I mean, if it wasn't obvious at this point, that's just like like it's just it's too easy yeah. for her to get caught like that. Yeah. She's too good. 
But uh, we see that she's alive and well. Her her brain is in the passenger seat of this car. Yeah. Her brain case is there. Basically, she was remote controlling that that other body. And uh, now the world thinks she's dead. So she's off the hook, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, and that, of course, segs directly into part 11. Ghost coast. Coast to coast. Uh, <laughs> Bato and Kusanagi, they're driving along in their car. Uh, they go to a dilapidated safe house. To pick up a new cyber body for her. Uh, it's kind of interesting. They go to to get the spare cyber body. But because it is a black market cyber body. And the components are shoddy. Yeah. They say mold. something about like the skin and stuff isn't like the same. And yeah. Like, uh, and it's like. Yeah. It's got mold on it and stuff. And it's, it's unusable. Essentially. They pull it out and it's fucking disgusting. But it's interesting that he would put that in there. To show that, like, you still, you get what you There's pay for. There's alternate versions and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, it's- you can get what you want on the black market, but it's not going to last as long. Um, their timing couldn't be any worse because as they're in there trying to get this body, a group of, like, Mad Max-style scavengers <laughs> come upon this safe house. And they, they're just looking for stuff to steal, I guess. Because they decide they're going to go in and see if they can take anything. Uh, but Bato notices a cyber body that uh, would probably be compatible with uh, the Major's brain case. Yep. So he's <laughs> going to go get her a new body. And uh, she says while he does that, she's going to go into what's called autistic mode, which essentially means disconnected from from the net. Mm-hmm. She's going to do this to save battery power for whatever like life support device she's uh hooked up to um just as she goes to switch off though the voice of the puppeteer starts speaking to her this is my gross oversimplification of what happens here <laughs> say it's fucking page upon page of like existential like theoretical jargon like just like and i mean like each one like I'm not even lying here, like, or over-exaggerating. Like, each speech bubble could probably be examined in, like, a full-blown, like, philosophical conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a lot. I kind of just try to take what I could from it. There was no point in me rereading this multiple <laughs> times because yeah. this is so... This is literally the author amusing himself. I think, in general, this title... And to a greater extent, the other works that he has done are just him amusing himself. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I I think it's it's wonderful that this dude who is very intelligent and a talented artist and writer basically has made these things that really ultimately probably only make sense to him, but then felt like putting it out there to the world for people to view. Yeah, I, I respect that. It's basically there for him to amuse himself. But if you want to read it, there you go, too. This is an example, though, of something that obviously he really likes and makes sense to him. But when it comes down to it, I just don't know how to explain it other than what I'm about to do now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the puppeteer essentially explains that even though he is a life form born from the net, he does not have the ability to to reproduce in the sense that humans or like carbon-based life forms reproduce he can make a copy of himself but it's literally just a copy it does not have the the variation and diversity granted by evolution 
that uh, basically we pass down through passing down our genes when we reproduce with a you know a partner and we, the the genes mix and you know you make a a new a new life form with the mix and that's the diversity evolution all this stuff go ask your science teacher <laughs> um, so he is basically proposing that the two of them fuse to create a new like hybrid life form re- reproduce if you will um which i guess in this sense doesn't mean that they are giving f- they are giving birth to a new life form but they together are becoming the new life yeah, form yeah they're they're becoming something different but that then from that their offspring whenever they they die their their offspring however that works will then be passed on to the net that's where the variation the evolution comes from yeah um she hesitates cuz she's like what the fuck? She thinks she's giving up her individuality in that way. Yeah. She asks, what guarantee do I have that I, I will still retain what makes me me. And he, he kind of reassures her, but then doesn't, I think I am very grateful to, uh, Oshi Mamoru who directed the movie. He did such a great job of like simplifying this. Yeah. The conversation they have in the movie is like, uh, it's it's it hits all the same beats, but it's distilled. Yes. To where it like it's only like the important stuff. Yeah. Like none of the severe waxing yeah. <laughs> poetic and philosophical stuff. But yeah. where where she kind of questions if she'll retain her individuality in the film, the the puppeteer gives her a straight answer where he says your efforts to remain yourself are what limits you, which is something yeah. that I I, as a personal philosophy, I try to remember sometimes in trying to when you try to grow as a person, how much of that is you not wanting to give up things that you kind of hold dear or or feel that are too important to give up to try something that you don't know if it's going to work out or change for the better, you know? Yeah. Basically throws that at her is like there is no guarantee that you're going to stay the same. But that's not what this is about. Yeah. You have to kind of take a leave of faith. But she kind of thinks on it and basically agrees. Um, She awakes at some point later on, uh, finds that she is in one of Bato's other safe houses. This is a nice looking safe house, though. This is like uh, it's like a nice, I don't know, penthouse. (laughs) It's not super shitty like the, the other one. Um, basically she wakes up and, uh, in the body that he has acquired for her, uh, she explains what had happened with her and the puppeteer that they have fused together, but it's not very forthcoming with all the other details other than that. Just kind of tells him what has happened. Yeah. Um, like she explains that it, like there's something different now. Yeah. Um, it was also funny that uh, Bato mentions the body that she's in. He keeps calling it her, but then she says, no, this is a male's body. Yeah. And he goes, what? <laughs> it basically like implies, like, I'll I'll show you that it's a male body. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just kind of a weird, funny thing to put in there. Um, now that, and I'm using quotes, Motoko Kusanagi has died. And the new hybrid puppeteer kusanagi has their whole life ahead of them bato asks so where are you gonna go now back to section nine 
And while gazing gazing uh, at the Newport City skyline, kind of like how we started, uh, she they reply, go beats me, bud. Ah, the net is vast, which is a great last line. And that's that's the end of the ghost in the shell. Kokaku Kidotai. Mobile riot fucking beat up shell squad. squad. <laughs> Mobile riot beat up squad. Shell squad. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this was a dense read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's got a lot. There's a lot to chew on there. Um yeah, I don't know. I was like kind of uh I don't know. I really like the last like three chapters, basically like the the meat of like the story. Yes. <laughs> um, and the rest was all like enjoyable, but like it, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird like package as a whole. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know, like a lot of the time, uh, when I was reading it, I was just kind of like, it, it's like what I said with, um, at the very beginning with, uh, the humor aspect, I was kind of like, this isn't like what I expected, you know, <laughs> like, but, yeah. uh, but then like anytime that like, I felt like the story was going that way. Like if the characters were being like goofier than I thought they would be, the story itself was still like some kind of high concept, like weird espionage, like, you know, story that I was like, Oh, that kind of brings it back, you know? And then, yeah. And then in the last, like, like I said, third of the book, basically, uh, it becomes like what you think of when you think of ghost in the shell, I think. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it's peculiar. Like I, I think a lot of my like opinions about it, like I liked the book, but I was kind of conflicted on it after just reading it itself. And then when I watched the movie, it really clicked with me. Okay. And like, and I, uh, I felt like my initial grasp, and I mean, this was only like mere days ago, you know? So, I mean, I'm still kind of like processing through all this information. I've only watched like half of the ScarJo movie. I fell asleep, not because of lack of quality. I was really tired, but like, um, uh, so I have not finished that yet. Oh, um, shame. I could kind of see where it was going, but you know, for <laughs> lack of a better term, I wasn't, uh, wasn't a fan of the, uh, direction they were taking with, yeah. with how, uh, the narrative choices. But, uh, I will say the movie looked really good and there were some really cool ideas. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's, let's <laughs> talk about the, uh, the 1995 animated film first. Yeah. Uh, the movie is what, like exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, distilled everything from the book into the awesome, cool stuff and made it like more impactful somehow. I think um, yeah. I almost. It's weird because when we were just going over the book, like there are moments where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love that. I love that." And I'm like, I liked a lot more of this book than I thought I did after finishing it myself. Um, it was more just like I think I was so much more impressed with the, what the movie does. Yes, as like a package, and it does it all in like eighty minutes. The, the <laughs> book. The manga as a whole is so much to digest. The yeah. Movie, the movie kind of takes that that overall, that through line of the story that they kind of tell more towards the end and then sort of picks out little moments from throughout the comic and, and kind of peppers them in there to, to move it along. 
every every issue, every story in this book has been adapted in either a Ghost in the Shell movie or an episode of one of the series. Of the shows, yeah. So it has been thoroughly adapted in some way or another. If you if you like any aspect of this, you can find you an can adaptation find it, of it. Yeah. Yes. I just like I don't know like the um y- you know so many times I'm I'm always that guy who if I've read something and it's something that's kind of dense or just um heady or whatever um, and there's some adaptation of it. I'm always usually one to complain when the adaptation, uh, typically like a movie or something or a show, um, skimps on the finer details or the um, uh, really exploratory nature of the text. But with this, I was like, fine getting rid of most of that shit. <laughs> like for the yeah. movie, I was like, I was like, it's, it's, it might be my limit of like where it's like, this is too much. Yes. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, and I guess (laughs) like, I guess if I were to reread this, I would experiment with like kind of just skimming that shit instead of like really trying to digest it all or maybe even skip a lot of it it, it, to begin with, you know, I mean like, I don't know. Um, I feel like the information is interesting but it's more interesting in like a meadow way than it is the story way. Yeah. Like, and that can be kind of distracting, but when you get to the core of it, the, uh, the storytelling and the way that it goes and the way that it shapes the characters, like once you get into that, especially at the end, because like he kind of drops a lot of that in those last few chapters. Like there's not a lot of like just winking and taking you out and explaining all this shit. I think partially because he already did all that. (laughs) So he doesn't need right. he doesn't need to tell you everything again, but like I think that's why those sections hit so much because they're more just straight up story focused. Like yeah, definitely. And it's like you know all this shit. Let's tell a fucking like meaningful, impactful thing here. Yeah. And like and that's where it really gets you. And you're like, oh, I I do care about these characters, and I care about like what this book is trying to say. And so it's like. I don't want to call it like a mixed bag as like a negative connotation, but it is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, isn't absolutely. It? Like it it's is. like, uh, and, and, and I was, but at the same time, like I think it speaks volumes that like, even if I'm like, you know, hesitant about certain aspects of the book or frustrated by some of them, the fact that this is like all I've been able to really think about since I've read it, mm-hmm. I think says a lot. Um, because it hits on a lot of themes and uh, ideas that I'm really prone to uh, liking to explore, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, it's it's, you know, been said to death, but, you know, the Blade Runner comparison, like, I mean, uh, right. Like that's a, a movie and a I guess a, a series of movies now that, you know, have sparked these kinds of conversations and uh, ideas and there's something really fun about that because these sci-fi like, you know, existential kind of like what is life? What is a person yeah. kind of conversations don't have a definitive answer. So it's like when someone creates a world to just ask these questions, even if it's the same question in a different way, it's uh, it's fun to look at because you get all these different perspectives and this shit can be fucking dissected for Oh yeah. Ever. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it, the, it, this is a situation where I think the movie, the, what this, this volume, because, uh, this is technically volume one. There are three volumes of the Ghost in the Shell manga. Yeah. Um, I, I will never touch the second one because <laughs> it is all of the technical jargon. It's just that for the whole thing. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. See that I would not check it like. out. <laughs> the, the adaptations, I think, do a good job of kind of sectioning out like you can enjoy this comic, this manga two different ways where you have like the police procedural aspect of it, which a series like standalone complex takes those things. And that's, that's what that series is essentially is like episode per episode, like a different story, a police procedural essentially. Yeah. Uh, whereas the 1995 film took that main sort of story arc and had that be the focus. And I think the manga definitely says this, but what I love so much about the movie and what it really kind of emphasizes is that in stuff like Blade Runner and any other science fiction work that touches upon these themes, they typically ask, what is it that makes us human? The 95 ghosts in the shell film says, fuck that. We're not human anymore. It, it pushes it beyond that because the end of that film is basically uh major choosing to transcend humanity. I guess, I guess it would be transhumanism and it, becomes a new being entirely. Yeah. It really, uh, it really changes the context of um, that last scene. Yes. And like that last line where she says that the net is vast, like the, like even the way that she says it yeah. is very much like, Oh, like it's like a, almost like a precursor to, the neck either the next step or 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 we're outdated or something you know like it's 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 interesting um yeah i loved that i i I loved that the movie a lot um i also loved how the movie and and see like that's the thing too is like without the book i don't think i would appreciate (laughs) this as much but the way that they combine the different stories in the anthology style of the first half of the book like to be just straight up a part of the main story yes is brilliant and it's pretty fucking seamless too like Absolutely. it's like you know the garbage man and stuff like yeah. is in there you get the the big tank is like a, a huge part of it like you know and the, it's the climax of the story yeah and like but it's more related to the puppeteer and like and they do it pretty damn seamlessly almost to the point where i'm like he should just redo the book to be this for a bit yeah. <laughs> like i'm like you know or, or like a cut of the book where it's more just this you know but yeah. i mean i guess we have the movie so it's it's fine but um yeah i, d- I don't know it does such a a great job distilling and um again like i said it cuts out most of that rambly kind of fourth wall breaking technical jargon stuff yeah uh but it doesn't, it doesn't like dumb it down. Like it, it yeah. doesn't dumb down the source material. And it's still like, I feel like, you know, with all the questions and the, the philosophical conversation you can have off of this book, you can have the same exact ones from the movie. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, and, uh, but, I, but I am, uh, I'm thankful to the point that I have them both and I've, you know experience them both at this point because now it's like you get a bit more of a well-rounded idea of what the movie is doing and also just you know that that extra shit is there to dive into if you want it (laughs) yeah um tone wise 
I was kind of thinking about it as we were recapping this. The movie tonally is not dour is maybe not the right word, but it is very serious. serious. Straight. Yeah. Like they play um, the whole thing straight. And uh, I think that that's for the better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And every subsequent version of Ghost in the Shell has followed in the footsteps of that. Tone. Even the ScarJo stuff is very much like that. Like that's, it's like, that's just like, like bland. And I, I mean, it's that, yeah. bland, but like that's, you could, that's what they're going for. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, is the whole, like the, the, you know, the existential, like, you know, like somber kind of like people tone. It's, it's like, too bad know, that movie's like, for dummies. <laughs> that movie's all about, all about love conquering all or whatever. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> God damn it. We'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. Um, tone, tone wise though. I was thinking about it when we were capping this. The manga does kind of drop the comedy it when de- it gets it, into that part. I thought so. about that too. It's like it it phases it out. Yeah, yeah. Like pretty severely, like because by the halfway point, maybe. Yeah, I because I always thought like, oh, it must have been a conscious decision. If you watch any of uh, Oshi Mamoru's other films, they all have that kind of tone. Yeah, that's that's just how the man makes his movie. He's he's so he just took those parts and was like, this is what I want to yeah. do. Like, I had always figured that it was a we're conscious... taking out the dick joke at the end. And we're yeah. Putting out... <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I always figured it was like that. But the dick joke at the end is like <laughs> is like his one last hurrah to get like a yeah. joke in there. Yeah. Like it's like um, even if it's not really it, I guess it's not even really played for a joke. I guess uh, Bato is is kind of like he's like he's like, what? Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a man. Yeah. Like, but, um, but she's like, just like, no, nah, it's a, it's a man's body, you know? <laughs> yeah. So interesting, but I guess not, not a huge, uh, creative Liberty. Like I originally thought is actually fairly close tonally. I will say I have kind of always wanted to see an adaptation done that retains the more humorous tone of this. I think if you do a new ghost in the shell series, that might be a, a new avenue. To might take. as well. We've had enough adaptations that take the serious tone. Like, why not try the yeah the the other angle of it? There's a lot to mine from this. Yeah, you know. Um, another change too is in the movie. Rather than the body she gets at the end, rather than it being an it's adult, like a young it's, woman. It's a young yeah. Which, when you compare the two, seems kind of odd. But then I thought about it, and I'm like. In the movie, is it like that because she's supposed to be a newborn? I think that she, that's, she's young and she's got to. Yeah, yeah. Like restarting almost as like a new person. Um, yeah. Even though technically that's what she does in the book, too. I yeah. mean, like um, with the new body. But like, yeah, I think it's just supposed to be like more like the the exuberance of like a young new thing. Ah, youth. Yeah. Yeah. Youth. That type of thing. Um, Which, you know, has its own like poeticism to it i guess yeah so there's ghost in the shell uh years later oshi made uh ghost in the shell Two innocence which is a non-canon sequel it is very up its own ass about like philosophy and stuff <laughs> in a way that is different to this manga but is also i don't know that movie's a fucking trip uh check it out if you like the movie adaptation i'll have uh, to check it out yeah standalone complex fantastic Sort of, like I said, it emphasizes the uh, sort of crime. Uh, what What's the word? What did I say? Police procedural. Police procedural aspect of it. And has two fantastic 
uh, seasons of that show. Absolutely fantastic. That's also where they go and kind of get more into each member of Section 9 and kind of flesh them out more. Oh, that's cool. Um, there is a prequel series called Arise, which I think is kind of the start of the divide in the Ghost in the Shell <laughs> fandom because Arise leans more into sort of like action. I still really like the series. It is still far more intelligent than a lot of science fiction out there. Uh, that one's kind of neat. It, it's a prequel series, but it's also its own timeline, so it doesn't really matter. Um, someone had the terrible idea of making a live action Ghost in the Shell movie. And in 2017, that came out <laughs> starring Scarlett Johansson. I don't know if it's worth us getting into all the controversy around that because I think it's pretty well established. But yeah, I I uh, uh, I know we talked about this beforehand, but uh, I think it's interesting to mention how um, that movie literally had like everything going against it. Yeah, like because, it, you know, if you think about it, like the general populace who was not familiar with Ghost in the Shell before this movie um, was, uh, you know, mired in the controversy of uh, Scarlett Johansson being cast as a woman who, you know, traditionally is depicted as Japanese. Yeah. And um, then you also have uh, the Ghost in the Shell fan base who don't want a Hollywood American adaptation by the numbers. Yeah. So it's like, there was just like, uh, who was like real excited for that? Like, I think everybody was just at most you were optimistically curious, you know, like, yeah. and, and like, and I don't think it really did anything for anyone. Unfortunately, like I said, I still have not finished yeah. the movie. I've only watched about half. So of it. I, yeah. I would put myself in the optimistically curious <clears throat> camp before it came out because we started getting stills like pictures from the set and it was like, okay, it looks like ghost in the shell. Yeah. And we got a trailer and I was like, okay, this, this actually looks like, like, well, well made. Yeah. And I will say like aesthetically and like the designs of everything, yeah. the effects and stuff. Like I said, that opening scene with like the uh, robot geisha, yeah, it was super fucking cool. So like they it. actually they released that scene like a couple months before the film came out. And when I watched that, I was like, fuck, I have to admit, like, this is seriously well done. Yeah. Um, some people cared. Yeah. <laughs> that movie. Some people on the movie cared. Work was put into it. I think at some point, some of the people on board wanted to make they were going to make a good Ghost in the Shell movie. But probably what happened, as usually happens, is. Someone from above, someone that's got the money said, hey, change this. Don't do this. It just got dumbed down. Yeah. Uh, and they were like thematically, they were like, you know what? Let's make it about family. <laughs> like, you know, or some shit like that. And it's just like, it's a just totally diluting what the what it's supposed to be. It's another run of the mill. Uh, they cannot control me. Uh, I must break free from the institution <laughs> bullshit sci-fi movie. That was like kind of the frustrating thing about like watching it. Like I said, again, I have not finished the movie, but I can see where it's going from like a mile away. And like the frustrating thing about like, you know, majors, Scarlett Johansson's character, uh, her, her demeanor right from the get go is like, she's not even like, that subservient or, or, or like slavishly following it's like from yeah. the very get-go she's like 
she's like, I want to be my own per like, you know, like I, I have problems right from the get go. Yeah. So it's like, you don't have like that moment of like, even if they wanted to change it to where it's like this moment of like a person breaking out of like, you know, their forced servitude or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's like, you don't even get that moment of where she realizes that she has that because it's like, she's always had it from the beginning of the movie. Um, and it's very strange. Yeah. Like, I, I think <laughs> one like, of the most bizarre creative choices was her, in in the live action movie, she is the first fully cyborg human. Yeah. Now, in every other Ghost in the Shell adaptation, this is a world that is fully cyborg. I mean, this mm-hmm. technology exists to the point where most humans are are have, you know, they're enhanced at some point. A lot of them have full cyborg bodies. Yeah. In this world, she's the first. The way she portrays the character is this bizarre it's almost as if someone said, oh, you're like a robot. You should walk around stiff like robots do, because that's <laughs> yeah. how she does. She sort of mean mugs and like walks around stiffly and it does not resemble Major Kusanagi in any way. Now, Major Kusanagi typically uh, manga notwithstanding typically is portrayed with almost a matronly quality. So she's like the 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 fucking mom of the group, but she's a badass. Like she's confident. Yeah. She knows what she's about. She takes care of business, even though she does have her insecurities, which they explore. She's, you know, she's badass. Yeah. The movie. She's not really, she's not really a character. She is not a character. She's just like a vessel that things happen to. Um, and I, (laughs) I have, I am not condoning, this in any way but i i always thought they had an opportunity that they squandered with her casting in that they could have talked about and and again they kind of they pissed this chance away because she's the first to have a fully cybernetic body they very easily could have established that in this world if anyone can transfer their consciousness to a cyborg body you can look like whatever you want now you can you can go to a shop or somewhere and say i want to look like this make me look like this yeah he's i don't think he even has a line in the film but the actor they cast to portray uh boma is black Mm -hmm. in the comic of course he's he's a bald japanese guy yeah but i mean they all the ishikawa i think is from new zealand his actor is it's like okay all you have to do is establish like you can look like whatever you want. Yeah. The idea of ethnicity, it, the conversation around it has changed here because you can say I want to I I identify as a I don't know, uh, a black woman. So I'm going to go transfer my consciousness into this body and that I identify with or something like that. Yeah. Of course, they couldn't do that. What they chose to do instead, which I know you didn't get to this part, <laughs> is establish that she is, in fact, Japanese and that <laughs> when she got into a car wreck or something, they transferred her mind into a, a Scarlett the body Johansson of Scarlett body. Johansson and gave her the name Mira Killian, which she <laughs> later has the revelation that she is actually Motoko Kusanagi, and it's so fucking bizarre, and <laughs> I guess I can see where they thought they could have their cake and eat it, too, but it just yeah. kind of comes off as, like, just so fucking backhanded. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Fucking tone deaf. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know that movie. I mean, if you want some eye candy, it's good for that. I think there were some interesting, like I said, the designs and the um, the action scenes that I saw were pretty cool. Um, I mean, so people put some effort into it yes. for sure. It's just the you know, like I said, thematically they they whoever was in charge didn't get it. Yeah, they missed the fucking point. Um, I have always said, too, I actually kind of like the guy that played Bato. I thought he did a pretty decent job. What's his name? Who plays him? Uh, uh, Aramaki. Tokusa. Uh, oh, uh, he's, uh, Shin, Shin Hon? Yeah, he's uh, Lao in The Dark Knight. Yeah, he he also played... Uh, he was in the new Mortal Kombat reboot as well. Yeah, he was Shang Tsung. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, that's kind of a weird choice for Shang Tsung. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, even though he he plays Togusa, uh, he's he's barely in it. Yeah. You know, they didn't give him that guy can uh, act. Give him some. He can act. Yeah. I don't know. Fuck. I they, like that. I like that guy pretty much in everything I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, the Shang Tsung was weird, <laughs> but, um, but everything else, I'm like, oh, yeah. They got beat Takashi to play Aramaki, which I guess is cool, but again, he's barely in it. He doesn't really have the personality. No, he's just kind of like generic boss guy. He also just didn't. <laughs> want to learn the lines in English or oh yeah they have the explanation for like it doesn't matter you can speak whatever language and your brain can just translate it yeah it's just funny that she's like it's like chief what do I do and he responds Japanese (laughs) and we get subtitles (sighs) what a weird thing yeah it's uh it's an interesting I will say interesting IP my my first thought after reading um in the second chapter when uh kusanagi is like cracking jokes and shit yeah i was like i was like oh scarlet johansson ain't gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> like i was like <laughs> I just, not even any diss on her as an actress i was just like i cannot see her portraying a character like this yeah, you know? yeah like definitely. it's like and, and i don't think that that's some you know based on the roles that i've seen her in and what she picks like i don't I don't see her wanting to play a character like that, you know, like it's like I'm sure that she, if anything, saw the the 95 movie and was if like, even, yeah. yeah, if even or had it explained to her. And uh, and she was like, that's something that I think I could probably do or, or want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah I don't, a I don't random know who side tangent. Ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you ever seen Marriage Story? No, I've just seen that clip of like Adam Driver throwing a bottle or something and them screaming at each other. Yeah. Is that what it's mostly about? Uh, I mean, there's more to it than it's a good movie. They're acting at each other. They're they're very, very good acting at each other. Oh, okay. In that okay. Movie. <laughs> she's she's fantastic. I saw it. a clip and I was just like, this looks awkward. <laughs> I mean, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, but it's uh, it's it's one of those that you're like, damn, like they just get to fucking show off like their chops. Yeah. And yeah. And it's like. No, but but yeah, no. Scarlett Johansson can do like a lot of stuff, and and to be honest, like watching like the film and you know reading like the last the latter few chapters of this book, I'm like I could see a character like this interesting her, you know. And and again, like I, this sounds like I might just be like putting the the blame on her for how the movie turned out. I don't obviously I don't believe that. I mean, she's just doing what she's paid. It's to her do. job. Yeah. It's like but like. I kind of feel bad because like in a world like I do kind of feel like she could play major well. 
<laughs> you know, yeah, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know who like, you get. You just, you got to have a, an actress that can do that sort of, you got to be charismatic, but sort of tough. And yeah. Um, I think in a way she could do that. Like, you know, I think she could pull it off. It was, it was just the direction and script and stuff. Like, you yeah, know, just like didn't allow um, her to. I don't know if she actually acts like live action acts, but the, the American voice actress, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who has done major Kusanagi in most adaptations is like that style is what that character needs. I don't yeah. know what kind of actress. She got the right attitude yeah, like yeah. for it. Yeah. I don't so. know. There's some that, you know, and I mean, this is all just to say that like, I mean, just don't, don't make the film in live action. That That's like, <laughs> yeah, all these live, all these live action adaptations that people are doing, they don't like none of them work. Like Cowboy Bebop got canceled a day after it <laughs> finished fucking airing or whatever. This like this expensive ass project Netflix put money into and uh, it's I don't they're making a one piece adaptation and then like uh, I think they're doing a Yu Yu Hakusho adaptation. It's like, what do you don't just stop? They don't they did, work. They already tried Full Metal Alchemist, too. The, and that's a Japanese one, too. Yeah. It's boring. <laughs> they I, just uh, don't. Here's the thing, too. Ghost in the Shell is an example of trying to adapt things you know. Um, there are several parts of that movie that very, very closely adapt things from the 95 film. Yeah. Bits that I love and seeing them done in live action is the perfect example of like, how anime does not translate to live action. I'll give you like probably the, the one that sticks out to me the most is when she's diving in the anime she, at the beginning. No, 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 no. Towards, towards the end. Ah, uh, okay. It's when she's diving and, uh, she oh, diving. Uh, yeah. I thought you meant like literally jumping off the building. No, 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 <laughs> not, not that one. Um, when she's diving in the ocean and she starts to surface and she sees her reflection in the surface as she, she comes up slowly to, to like meet it. The colors in that shot as it's sort of, you know, taking place, they recreate that in the film, in the live action film. And it just looks like like brown (laughs) or black and blue. Like, yeah, like, oh, this is what the ocean actually looks like. I think um, I remember (laughs) just speaking of uh, the idea of like mimicking shots um, or recreating uh, panels from a book. Um, I think we had this conversation when this movie came out, uh, because you were telling me about it, um, and how you were like kind of optimistically going into this movie or whatever. And we talked about it afterwards. And I remember distinctly saying, uh, or you saying basically all the stuff that we just said, but Mm -hmm. I had no context for ghost in the shell yet. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. And I remember you said, there's a lot of stuff that they do exactly right. Like, you know, recreating things. And Mm -hmm. and, and you said, but it just feels off. It doesn't feel right. And I was like, oh, so it's Watchmen. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and what I mean by that is the idea of like, you know, take your opinions on Zack Snyder's, uh, Watchmen movie um I kind of enjoy that movie like watching it 
for what it is, you know, mm. <laughs> I think it's kind of, and it's, it's interesting to see like so many of the, uh, panels recreated shot for shot, you know, uh, the movie is like a technological and visual achievement, you know, uh, it's, sure. it's great. Definitely. Um, but, uh, something to me always felt <clears throat> off about the Watchmen movie. And I think, it, it, I mean, I know, I, I don't know why I said, I think, because I've thought about this for years. I mean, it's like a fucking what, like 12 year old movie now. <laughs> 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, Watchmen, Zack Snyder, um, you know, love him or hate him. Hi, Zach. Uh, he doesn't. I know uh, you're listening. <laughs> he would not listen to me, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, he doesn't understand Watchmen, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like I just no. about to say he, maybe he does, but he does not understand it the same way that I do or most people do. Um, you know, and my, my, yeah. my favorite example of that is, um, the sequence in which, uh, they break Rorschach out of prison, uh, in the book, it's made out to be this violent, like weird realization moment where you're like, Oh, like, people doing this is like would be fucked up and weird yeah and like crazy you know like and not absolutely and not a cool thing in snyder's movie it's this triumphant slow-mo fucking bad ass shit and like i i that's that that's the moment for me where i turned on the movie like you know that i was like i was like this whole thing has felt kind of weird and off i was like there's some good performances there's some bad performances and then yeah. it's like but then that scene is like oh that he doesn't get it yes that was the same for me but it was the scene where night owl and silk specter get followed down the alley and they have to fight off like those goons and they also kind of make that super badass in too. the yeah. yeah in the in the comic they're it's like desperate and they're like they're fighting for their lives essentially but in the movie they're like snapping bones it's like a playful like uh like dance uh, type thing like yeah they're like we still get it we still yeah yeah yeah. we guess i forgot we keep this yeah they they might as well have like when the muggers like came into the alley in the movie they might as like Silk Spectre and Night Owl should have turned the camera and been like, you don't know what you got yourself into. <laughs> like, fucking, like, it's like, you know, and, and I mean, I don't like talk trash on that movie a lot. Again, I said, uh, I actually enjoy watching that movie kind of for what it is. Um, especially, like I said, visually, it's just so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, there's nothing really like it. Um, unless Indeed. you count like other Snyder movies like Sucker Punch or something. But like, uh, you know, He's a talented filmmaker, but like, you know, it's the same thing with like in Batman vs Superman, where he takes all those like Dark Knight panels, yeah, yeah, and just exactly. puts that shit in, yeah. and you're like, and they you're look like, cool, but and you're like, but the, there's there's no context, like, and like you're not you're not getting why those are important for every <laughs> for every Batman on the side of the building, you get Jesse Eisenberg shoving a Jolly Rancher in someone's mouth. I'm just saying there's a trade-off. She, did, she things. did that a lot more in the movie. <laughs> it's like every other scene. He's doing it to everybody like, he fucking talks to. Batman, it's a green apple. I don't want it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> no, but, oh, but, Lois Lane. Oh, it's watermelon. Oh, man. <laughs> like, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, like, you know, it's it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. That's our, our tangent about Hollywood adaptations. Yeah. Just, but, just don't make it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people enjoy them, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, I think maybe, maybe there's something wrong with us. We care too much. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> See, the thing is, though, even though it exists, it's no skin off my back. Like, yeah. it does not yeah. ruin. I'm not like Ghost scrub it, shell. scrub it from the fucking planet. You know, like yeah. it's like it, it's you know, and like I even just said about Watchmen, I could talk shit on that movie all day, but yeah. I still like watching it. <laughs> uh, I saw I saw Ghost in the Shell 2017. It was not good. Uh, end of story. Yeah. I moved on. Yeah, same thing. Uh, I watched two episodes of that cowboy bebop live action it was not good i moved on simple <laughs> enough it's not gonna tarnish the i you i enjoy. still have the old thing yeah you got the old one it's still good still holds up it's yeah. no big deal if anything, hollywood's just hollywood is gonna keep cranking these things out until they get one to work i find a lot of the time you and i too, cannot stop it yeah so no they, yeah it's 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 inevitable but um i will say too though whenever there is like an adaptation that i'm not too keen on like it kind of makes me appreciate the work more too. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really like go back to it and I've kind of find more of a personal attachment to it. If it's been, you know, not represented in a way that I feel it should be, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, uh, and if the adaptation's good, then I mean, I, you know, I still have the book that I love too. you know, it's a uh, fuck man. Uh, Batman V Superman is what made me get into Superman proper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I just kind of went, this doesn't, People like to shit on Superman as being the lame Boy Scout, but I'm like, seeing him done like this just does not feel right. Yeah. And so it made you explore more? It made me like really actually get into the character and it made me, ironically enough, Batman v Superman is why I love the Richard Donner <laughs> Superman movie so much. <laughs> That's funny. Because I, I watched that and I was like, nah, this is this is how it's supposed to be. That film is fucking stupid. He does things that are just not correct like I turning can, the world back but i can the characterization is is like spot on so. i could almost um kind of say the same thing about uh, man of steel yes, yes man also. of steel like made me actually like deep dive superman not because i loved that film but because i was like there's got to be something to this like you know like that yeah, like yeah. i was like it's i don't know and um let alone like i still believe like even though i don't um I don't think I think Man of Steel is another case of like, I guess it's also Snyder, but just not really getting it. <laughs> but like, uh, which, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't mind that movie near as much as I do like his is the future work after it's, that. But. Yeah, it's not getting it or maybe it's it's more correct to say it's a different interpretation. Yeah, yeah. The issue, though, is that you can when you deconstruct the character you can bend them, but you if you bend them too far, you break them. And I think that's what Man of Steel does is it it breaks Superman. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's it has such a it's so divisive. Yeah. I think I still just uh, I just enjoyed. Um, uh, I like uh, Henry Cavill in the role. Yeah. You know, I, I think that he wants to embody that. And I think even through like a script like that, like he's still has that Superman quality, like, you know, just in the way sure. he carries himself, I guess. But like, um, he has said that if he ever got to come back, he would want to do like proper Superman. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think he's been like gunning for that forever. I would know? like I to mean, see like, that. I would too. Henry Cavill's cool dude. Yeah. Good actor. But like, uh, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, like, uh, and I think there's something to be said for that. So, you know, I mean, if, um, you know, the ghost in the shell 2017 live action film, like got someone to pick this up, you know, and kind of sure. dive in, like, that's cool. At least, I mean, like, uh, you know, everybody starts somewhere and they're, they're those big Hollywood adaptations have a place in the way that, you know, even though like, you know, I know that people like to joke about this with comics all the time, but it's like, uh, you know, Marvel or DC always trying to capitalize on those fabled quote unquote new readers. Like, yeah. like people are going to go see the new hit blockbuster superhero film and then rush out to the comic book store. So we got to make sure that we're promoting that exact character and that exact thing yeah. in this random run. It's like, people aren't going to go pick up a single issue of a book, like, you know, or whatever. Here's, like, here's the funny thing about that. Um, when, when like, for example, when Cowboy Bebop came out on Netflix, <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any sort of like, check out the original. I mean, I guess Netflix was like, Hey, we got the original. Yeah. Need to watch yeah. that. Yeah. But there wasn't anything like, if you like this, go buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking for a spike in Blu-ray sales. Yeah. It's, I don't know. My, my coworker, we occasionally will talk about live action anime adaptations. And he maintains that it's inevitable that Hollywood will eventually get their Iron Man for anime movies. I, I'm still the fucking naysayer because I've been in the shit for too long. And I don't believe that it's going to happen. It very well could, but I'm, I'm just like too cynical but he he maintains that once Hollywood gets their Iron Man of anime movies, once they figure out how it'll it's supposed the, to work, it'll be the new thing. That's the new thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah, I I can I could see it. I could see it happening. I, um, I, I just don't know how they would have to, like, vastly yeah. rethink how they do those. Like, you know, exactly. Like it's a uh, it's it's not going to work just like half-assed adapting the things i honestly like, think anime in particular anime manga is too culturally japanese for them to be able to adapt it as a western property they need to they need to just fucking stop like what they did with ghost in the shell stop fucking taking some cheese dick fucking <laughs> like cheese dick yeah some cheese fucking <laughs> dick like power of love fucking you know i am who i am and you can't tell me otherwise like fucking uh, uh, for lack of a better term stereotypical american story morals like y yeah and, and and that's what and, i mean and taking that and just putting that over uh, the title of something and just molding yeah. it to be something that it's not like yeah. it doesn't work and it's it, it takes away the uniqueness people like manga and anime has exploded in the u.s over the past like two decades yeah, because it's different exactly because people like something different like you know and i mean like and i don't know if you can replicate that in a movie like like is it is it the fact that it's like cultural differences or is it the fact that it's just a different way of thinking i don't That's know good point you know it's a it's it's it could be a lot of things i I, mean, I do think too now where, where it's now it's more possible than ever that it could happen is that now we are starting to get people in Hollywood that came up, basically people that are our age that came up with this stuff. Yeah. I don't remember if I mentioned it in our Akira episode, but uh, Jordan vote Roberts, the guy that directed Kong skull Island is directing the live action Gundam movie. He is also going to be directing the metal gear solid movie. If, and when that happens, 
And the only reason I haven't just completely written it off is because I've seen Kong Skull Island and I've seen one that he is a competent director. He's he's a good director, but that the little nods he put in that movie to like anime and and just general like things I I know, I guess (laughs) that's like there's a sincerity to this that if this guy could do it, an anime adaptation and got and and didn't have the oversight to to turn it into a ghost in the shell maybe that's where it starts yeah maybe we're getting into an era where there's going to be these uh directors and creative people in hollywood that get it per se but even at that point yeah how do you how do you adapt something properly yeah I mean, that's, you know, it's subjective, obviously. It's just like, I don't know. You know, for example, his approach with this Gundam movie, because, you know, there's 500,000 Gundam series out there is rather than do an adaptation of like, say, Mobile Suit Gundam, the original. He said that he's kind of going to do a mix of everything and he's going more for the spirit of it as opposed to adapting a specific thing. Yeah. And I kind of thought about that and I was like, well, maybe that's where they go wrong with a lot of this stuff, too, is uh, like the Bleach live action movie. They basically tried to adapt the first arc of that. But that means you have an hour and a half, two hours to to adapt. I don't know, 20 volumes or or something like that. Yeah, that's rough. Doesn't work like that. So maybe instead of taking a story arc and trying to condense it into two hours, instead, what you want to do is is get the spirit of the thing. You can change up the story and change things as need be. But if you've got the spirit of it, I mean, is that maybe they have is, to, is that why Iron Man succeeded is because it got the spirit of it. Correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was also or, or just Marvel in general. I mean, the fucking juggernaut of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Has it succeeded because it's gotten the spirit of the comics? Correct. If not the stories necessarily. Definitely more the spirit than the stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think I think anybody who has read any of the story, the titular stories that any of the movies are <laughs> based on. Titular. <laughs> would realize like that these stories are not that similar when they adapt them. Uh, of it really, course. It yeah. really is just kind of thematically and, uh, you know, spiritually uh, you know, and maybe that is how they have to approach it. Maybe they have to approach it more like a companion piece and less of an adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Because like, at, at what point did comics go from being that thing the weird nerd reads to my mom wants to go see Guardians of the fucking Galaxy? <laughs> they, at, you that know, still boggles my fucking yeah. mind. <laughs> you got to find that middle ground where it's going to appease the hardcore fans. But also gets mom to want to go see it. Yeah. I'll fucking die inside if my mom says, I want to go see that ghost in the shell. Movie. <laughs> like, mom, it's, like, it looks, it's got blah, blah, blah. And I know it, it just looks like a good film. Or let's go see the new uh, Dragon Ball movie. <laughs> Is that the thing you watched? Is that the you thing you kid? liked? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> they got Matthew McConaughey to play. Uh, how do you pronounce his name? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Who, Krillin. Krillin. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm pulling this out of my ass. Who does Matthew McConaughey play in the Dragon Ball Cinematic Universe? Probably Master Roshi. He could be. Uh, yeah, he he could be. Uh, oh, my God. Fucking. I'm 
Yamcha. He could be Yamcha, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Wolfang Fizz. I'm a bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all, it's Wolfang Fizz. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that part? Part's played by like <laughs> Danny DeVito or something. Yeah. No, no, no. Danny DeVito would be Oolong. Yeah. That's oh, perfect. yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Hey, asshole. Danny DeVito could also be Krillin. He could. Yes, he could. <laughs> I'd be okay with him being like half the cast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, check out my Kamehameha. <laughs> hey, Bulma, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I got my pieces. God damn it. <laughs> um, any more thoughts? We should probably wrap this up. Yeah, no, I think we did. I think we hit think, all the bases. Yeah, I mean, like, for the overall, you know, I mean... I, I, I really just I, I wanted to go into the fact of like Ghost in the Shell as like a uh, a media property, you know, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, just because that's uh, that's such a way that everybody views it. I don't I don't think anybody really is just like, oh, I just know the movie or I just know the book or whatever. Like, it's kind of one yeah. of those things that you you have, IP. To, you have to experience it in different forms. Yeah. <laughs> definitely one of if not my favorite ip i think the 95 ghost in the shell movie might be my favorite movie like ever it is really great i, I, ha- I did have the pleasure of seeing it in imax back in october for the 25th anniversary that's awesome it was like possibly the closest to a religious experience i've ever <laughs> had in my life seeing that fucking thing on an imax screen is awesome that's awesome yeah man no um yeah i guess uh Oh shit! I gotta answer if I pull it or drop it. Right? Yeah, you do. I okay. Um, I'll I'll just if this helps you at all. My answer has a caveat to it. So. I think mine kind of does too, though. <laughs> like it, it's like a, you know I pump it or dump it. Like okay, yes. I think in I think in every instance I pull it. There is like a version of this though where it's very close to not, mm-hmm. and that's if you only read the book. I do think it is 100% necessary to get the full experience of like, because I, like I said, I don't really feel like I 100% got it until I saw the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I got it. I understood what I read. I understood what happened. It was just like, with the, you, you know, and maybe it's how I read it. You know, I mean, like, I would read like, you know, I, I finished it in like two days, read like half of it and then the other half, you know? So it was like, it's a little tonal whiplash mm-hmm. going that fast, like and not dissecting each one like how we just did. Yeah. Like, you know, kind of more in depth, like to see. I, like, I even went, I did an issue a day and even still doing it like that. It's yeah. a lot to take on. Yeah. It's like not just a lot in terms of the content of the story, but like I said, the uh, the tonal shift it takes is is just a little you're not you can't put your thumb on it at first. Yeah. And like and seeing the movie distills it into what not only I feel like it wants to be, but what I wanted it to be. Yes. <laughs> and like and and then you you get it from there. And like so I think pull it for sure. Uh if you read it, watch the movie too. The 95 animated yeah. film. Um at least. Um I do plan on checking out uh some of the other series, I will finish the Scar Jost in the show, and uh, yeah, uh, just uh, I'd, I'd, I'd call myself a fan at this point. Okay, I am I am right there with you. I also would pull it with the caveat that you you read this 
almost as a companion piece to the film, the series, anything else. Because if you go in uh, just kind of if this is the only thing that you do, I mean, if you're like really fucking smart and you go for that kind of thing, you might enjoy it. But otherwise, you know, experience Ghost in the Shell as as a whole. Yeah, Um, it's it really is like like you were saying, like an IP, like multimedia kind of experience. Yeah. I think um, one, one that for the most part has not just like gone to complete shit. Yeah. I mean like um, kind of like Blade Runner, I think even like, yeah. um, you know I mean? Like now that there's multiple pieces of Blade Runner media, you know, oh, yeah, I, mean, I forgot that has an anime too. It's got an anime. It's got uh, comics. The, <laughs> the anime is actually directed by uh, the director of standalone complex, blah, standalone complex. Oh, nice. That's cool. It's the same guy. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. It's also a weird CG anime, so... I've heard good things about the Blade Runner uh, comic books as well. Okay. <laughs> but they did like a 2049 series. After oh, that and... Uh, oh, my God. It's all connected. The guy... Uh, oh, my God. Shinichiro Watanabe, the directed Cowboy Bebop, directed one of those Blade Runner animes. Oh, that's cool. The shorts or whatever. Nice. It's all connected, Nick. It is. It's a, it's a triangle or whatever. <laughs> Illuminati. The triangle in the Ghost in the Shell logo. Oh, my God. Holy shit. It is not going to get any better than that. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can call it. That. That's a fucking wrap. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, uh, yeah, there you have it, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash none of my friends like comics. That way we can continue to provide you with even more great content. It is never expected, but always appreciated. We did just like update. I side note this is off script but i did like just update like the tiers and stuff and add a bunch of stuff and um once i get more people on there we're gonna start doing some decently fun things i'm gonna do like a fucking uh ama thing and stuff and uh just like hangouts and stuff it'll be cool cool i'll get you on there too oh my god (laughs) yeah of uh yeah so you can follow the show on twitter at no comic friends for updates and posts and stuff or you can email the show with your comments and thoughts at none of my friends like comics at gmail.com and if you mark it okay to air we'll read it on the air and respond and stuff uh uh, we just want to get the word out about the shows. So tell your friends, family who might be interested to give us a listen. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you on the next page. <laughs>